I'm Kevin Hageman. And I'm Dan Hageman. And we are executive producers of Star Trek Prodigy. And you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that doesn't have to win as long as every other podcast loses. I'm your host Craig and we are here to discuss the news, trailers, bits and pieces, things and reveals and so on from the month of January 2023. And joining me is my fellow news victim up for his turn this month, it's Aaron. Hello. This has turned a bit dark, I think, already, actually. I mean, I know I'm supposed to be the one in the podcast that likes that, but it's still a bit dark. We're going to try and make everybody lose and we're a victim. There's quite a bit of horror on the list, so it seems like good company. It's not just modern internet, then. The modern internet has beaten us down in the submission. Anyway, first news podcast of the year. Technically the second news podcast of the year, but the first one was in respect of last year. So this is the first podcast about this year's content. Technically accurate podcast, that's what we are. Technically accurate, we're continuing the year as we mean to go on. But anyway, that's what we're doing. And as always, we're going to start with just a bit of a roundup of what's been in front of our eyes for the last while. So what have you been watching? Oh, I have had to go back to 1990s i find something to watch. Oh, God. I was watching 1899, and I really enjoyed that. And, of course, as anything that I enjoy, it gets cancelled. So that was good. I was pleased about that. And to add to that list, I caught up on Inside Job because I was behind on that. And that's also been cancelled. So, brilliant. <laughs> really done well. I need to stop watching things, by the way, because I'm starting to get the thought that it's me that gets stuff cancelled. It was like the time that I thought Neil Before Blog was being used as a hit list around about the time they cancelled Krypton and a couple other things I was covering. Yeah, don't like stuff because <laughs> that's the end of it. Don't like the Netflix stuff, I think, is what to do there. Well, see, that's the thing. I'm also waiting for the next series of Arcane, because that's one of my favourite things ever. And because I like it, I'm now expecting them to just turn around and say, nah, I know it was massively popular and successful, and the critics loved it, and the audience loved it, and everybody loved it, and they made a load of money. But those aren't good reasons to keep a show on, so <laughs> just panic. Everybody didn't watch it within the first 20 minutes of it being released, so we cancelled it. That's enough, yeah. But beyond that, I've struggled, actually. That's why I've had to go back to 1990s, because I tried watching a whole bunch of stuff. Let me give you a list. Willow, Clone Wars, Vox Machina, The Witcher Blood Origins, and Pentaveret. And I think I gave up on most of them pretty quickly. I really persevered with Willow. Really wanted to enjoy Willow. And I didn't make it. About six episodes in, I did really well, but in the end, just couldn't stick with it. Was it doing nostalgia badly? Well, the Willow TV series is really weird. And I remember when we first started talking about this, I said, even on the first episode, I couldn't figure out what the target audience was. I was pretty sure it wasn't me. I was thinking, so if it's not the people that watched Willow the first time around, maybe it's our generation's kids. Yeah, that makes sense. That could be a thing. And it does seem to be the CW does fantasy. 
where you take a lot of pretty people, give them a lot of modern internet values, and just let them go at each other. And the way they break up the pain of that is by making every single line a joke. Absolutely everything has got a joke in. Take that Buffy principle of don't let an emotion last and just carry on with it. And you might think, okay, so it is like a CW thing. But then when you look at the rating, I think it's a 16 rating on Disney. And you're thinking, okay, but if it's aiming at young adult, then what's the 16 rating doing? Because you've got to at least pretend that you're aiming at 13 or 14 year olds. You can't just say, oh, they're going to watch it anyway. That doesn't fly past the censors, I'm sure, where you just pretend you're going for a different audience than you rated it. So I really couldn't figure out what the target was other than just the internet at large, which wants a very, very angry, unlikable young woman to prove that she's better than everybody else. And I'll I'll say that happily, knowing I'm going to be cancelled for having said it. But unfortunately, one of the main characters is a walking stereotype. It's a bit of a shame she doesn't really get any development. And Willow's kind of a strange addition to the group as well. I just got lost in it. I just couldn't figure out really what was going on. Well, not the plot was very complicated, but what the whole series was trying to say and who it was trying to impress and what it was trying to build towards. Yeah, lost. Completely lost. I haven't heard good things about Willow, actually. I haven't really heard much about it. Anybody that watched it was sort of lukewarm to underwhelmed by it. Yeah, that's probably about right, because I thought there were some good ideas in there. There's some very interesting setups where you get a character and the setup is you have this characteristic and wouldn't it be weird if this thing then happens to you? And you think, all right, yeah, okay, that could really go somewhere. But then it doesn't go anywhere. It's just very quickly dealt with, or they make a joke out of it to remove all seriousness. And they even kind of do that with the Willow background. They just take all the old stuff and just get rid of it quickly. We're sort of paying lip service to this. Well, we've got Willow though, haven't we? So it's called Willow and it's about Willow. Oh, right, brilliant. Yeah, so we've done the background then. Right, moving on. So yeah, it is an odd thing that seems like it should have had some really good ideas going somewhere and and ended up just being a bit bland. Yeah, strange. Hmm, okay. It's not something I feel like I'll ever need to watch. I haven't even seen the original, so it's definitely not for me. No, but that's the thing. It's definitely not for those of us that watch the original either, so... I was thinking it must be for somebody like you, a new audience. It's certainly not for me. Willow's a funny old film. Nobody's going to say it's the best film in the universe ever, but those of us that liked it, liked it. But yeah, it's not for us. Yeah. But yeah, what else has been going on? I've got to give mention to Sliders, because that's what I've actually gone back to, my 1990s sci-fi, which is also a pretty crazy show. And there are many reasons why people don't watch beyond series three but i am certainly enjoying the first two series again we don't need to dig up some old show from 30 years ago but i wanted to bring it up just just say it's strange but at the moment with so many shows out there i'm back at the point where i'm really enjoying something that's 30 years old is that just my age i don't know the comfy pair of slippers that's what it is put on the comfy pair of slippers and you'll feel good about the fact that you're in a comfy pair of slippers well it's probably a bit rude to leave it at that i guess because the thing is when you watch some of series one and two it's one of those shows that's old school science fiction here is a concept let's play with it and ask what if and that is something that you don't get with a lot of your modern shows if they're trying to prove a point they're trying to prove a modern social point 
and they leave it there. And now I can't claim that Sliders carries on with that into seasons three, certainly not four and five when it, it becomes a slightly different show. But it's just nice to go back to that. We've got something we want to investigate in this science fiction way. And I'm not saying it's genius, but there's more intelligence to it than half of the stuff that I've been watching lately that's modern. Maybe there's good modern stuff out there, but it's just drowning in the sea of content that is. Yeah, there's possibly a little too much coming out at pace. Yeah. Cool. So is that it for your list of stuff? I think that's me. If I declare 1899 Inside Job and Sliders, I think that's me. Cool. For me, I've been watching a varied bunch of things, although I haven't watched all of a varied bunch of things. I sort of went on a binge of first episodes, if that makes sense, just to see if there was something that was going to capture me. Yeah, that's what I tried. Before I get into that, I'm still watching The Winchesters, which is now back from hiatus. It's got a few episodes left. I'm enjoying it. It's not setting the world on fire. I think it's fine as a TV show. It's it's fine. The biggest praise I can give it is that the leads are really good. And I really like the fact that they are resisting the urge to just reference the future every five minutes. Because you get that in a lot of prequels where it's, oh, remember that thing that hasn't happened yet? Here's a nod to it. The Winchesters almost never does that. Cool. And the temptation must be there. So oh, yeah. they've either been told not to do it or they're very deliberately trying to do their own thing. I don't know which. But they're managing to at least deliver something that isn't just, here's Supernatural references the show, which I appreciate. There's one of those YouTube videos I need to remember it where they do a jokey Mandalorian. Just reminded me of that, and I think I'm going to have to find the joke, at least for the show notes. It's something about when your praise for the show is based on something so weak, and somebody says, it does the bare minimum, which, given whatever else we're looking at, feels like looking on the face of God. And that was just the most <laughs> hilarious thing I ever saw. It's just such a shame that this show is not falling into this normal pit trap. That makes it one of my favourite shows. It's good or anything, but at least it's not failing awfully. Terrifying. I think if I was a newcomer to the Supernatural universe, I'd have given up by now, because I don't think it does certainly enough to stand on its own has been great television in the way that well supernatural started in a very different tv climate anyway but that first season was really gripping there was a reason to keep watching every week because of what they were doing and how they were doing it whereas the winchesters it feels like it's treading water a little bit in that respect or maybe that's just how i feel about it but it's, it feels like it's kind of banking on the fact that i watched supernatural for 15 years so maybe i'm willing to watch it for a 16th we'll see what it ends up being and whether it gets a second season or not but i'm never compelled to turn it off when i'm watching it it's never bad it's just it's fine and i'll keep going with it for that reason i guess it's a weird one it's not great but it's pretty good and it has moments of greatness here and there take of that what you will if you're a new supernatural fan try and watch it and let me know what you think of it because i don't know i don't have that perspective Given that I've downed 15 years of my life into original Supernatural, I feel like I owe it to watch this spin-off, but not brought myself to yet, primarily because you keep telling me, yeah, it's all right. You're not really inspiring <laughs> me to get into it. Maybe wait till the first season's finished and then start it then. Oh, it's only got 13 episodes. It's not got long left. I think it was episode eight was the last one I watched at time of recording. There'll be a ninth by the time this releases going into tenths. But reviews of every episode on the site... So I continue the tradition of reviewing Supernatural. In case you're in for life, if this yeah. gets 15 more series as well. Oh God, I can't see that happening. The CW is rapidly changing and I think everything that's currently on the CW will be going 
certainly the genre shows on the CW will probably be going out the window once the contracts run out, essentially. I think that's what will happen, but we'll see. In terms of first episodes that I watched, and some of them was more than one episode, I watched the first episode of Velma, which has been getting a lot of press for being terrible. Not allowed to call it that, by the way, because if you say it's terrible, then you're obviously horribly racist, bigoted. Racist, homophobic, bigoted, whatever label you want to plaster on me. But it's just plain crap. It's very, very bad. It's just not funny. It seems to think pointing out genre tropes and contrivances you get in TV and film and so on passes for a joke. No, that's a reference. It's not funny by itself. You have to do something with it. But it just consistently says, in a horror film, this happens. Yeah, and we all know this. It's just not very good. And Mindy Kaling is usually really good as well, so it seems weird that she's dropped the ball on this one. It doesn't deserve anybody's attention, really. But I do think it's funny that all the hate watching has got a second season. (laughs) People are watching it because they hate it, and it's gotten sufficient numbers to be renewed for a second season. If you hate something, people, don't watch it, because it'll go away if you don't like it. If you're just watching it so that you can criticise the wokeness and things like that, then, well, you get what you deserve, as far as I'm concerned. You get more of this. Well, modern day, that gives them more content, so they'll be given another citizen to hate. So, yeah, it works for everybody. At what cost? That cost has already been paid. (laughs) The internet is already that place. Yeah. I've watched two episodes of this one. Sonic Prime, the Netflix animated Sonic show. It's good fun. It's a good Sonic story. I quite enjoy it. I've always liked Sonic, and I like the stories they managed to make out of games that had no story. That was back in the 90s when they did a particularly excellent cartoon series based on the games, very loosely based, but it had all the elements, and they made a story out, and it was really good. This isn't on that level, but it's fun. It's clearly geared at young viewers, and I think it's something that someone who's young can just chime in and watch and really enjoy, and I'm not hating it. I actually think it's really entertaining, so... I'll probably finish it. It's two episodes of Watch. So there's really three episodes because the first episode's a double episode. I barely have any connection to Sonic, so I'll take your word for that on all of that. It's not complicated. He's a fast rodent who fights an evil scientist. And he has a bunch of woodland friends that help him along the way. Cool. I watched the first episode of Wednesday and I really liked it. I thought it was very nicely put together. I do think that first episode was quite drawn out. I feel like they could have done what they were doing in less time which is something I often feel about Netflix things anyway. But it was good. Jenna Ortega is really good in the role of Wednesday, and I think she really understands the character of Wednesday because it would be so easy to just play her as passionless and emotionless, but that's not what she is. She's restrained and thinly concealed contempt, very thinly concealed contempt, is always there whenever she's interacting with anybody. And I think she totally nails it. In her facial performance, you can see the emotion sort of just under the surface that she chooses not to express. That's kind of the point of the character, as far as I'm concerned, at least based on my watching of the cartoon and the older films and things. Good so far. It was only one episode I watched, but I'll keep going with it. I really liked it so far. I've heard good things. I didn't watch it in the end just because it didn't need another kids doing investigations and solving crimes in my life at that point. That's not to say I thought it would be bad, but it just didn't attract me in as a premise at that point but i've heard amazing things about it from a whole bunch of people so i don't doubt the quality and of course like most of the rest of the world i've been watching the last of us it's a game i absolutely love and i think the tv series is a very good adaptation of it i like it better when it slides away from the game when the show was announced i kept saying that i would have preferred to watch a story about other people in this universe rather than the story i've already played but they've changed it up enough to make it interesting although some of it 
feels a bit too familiar to me. There's some sequences from the first game that are created almost exactly. So when I'm watching it, I'm sitting there thinking, I've seen this. And I find that a little bit off-putting. I imagine that's something that me and possibly other video game players will bring with them. If you haven't played the game or watched a Let's Play or anything, then it'll all feel new to you. But it's definitely there. And the third episode, which was the last one that aired as we record, was a complete departure. It was a standalone story about two characters, one of which is in the games. So they change a lot about his backstory. And it got hyperbolically lauded as being the best hour of TV ever. on Twitter, and I was just sitting there thinking, no, it's not. It's great. It doesn't diminish how good it is, but it's not that. But you've got to remember this problem again. People are looking at just waves and waves of stuff. So when something comes on that is four out of five, that four looks infinitely higher than the zero you're currently sitting at relative to its setting. Yeah, but the hyperbole of, of every hour of broadcast television ever created... This is the best one. Well, that's what I mean. It's such a high thing. When you're looking, it looks like it's infinite. Just because it's only four at all, from your perspective, sometimes it can look infinite. I just find the binary of best thing slash worst thing ever really exhausting. Because it makes it difficult to actually have really interesting conversations about these things. Oh, I think we've all railed against that. We've all said this is the danger of the internet. And to a certain extent, we've bound to it anyway with Neil before and Rise Again. So that binary just sticks into you everywhere just because if you want to live on the internet, you sort of need to live by the sword, die by the sword, I'm afraid. But to me, Neil before Rise Against is that nuance. It's the idea that everything that you consume contains both. Because it's not that you straight kneel before slash rise against everything. There's a bit of both in there. And that's where you get nuance from. It's the, this bit worked really well, but the bit didn't work quite as well. And here's why. Those kinds of things. You don't really see much of that when people are saying this was the best hour of television I've ever seen, of any hour of television I've ever watched. And then two weeks later, they'll probably say the same thing about something else. How many clicks does something get, though, if you put, yeah, it's good. I liked it. Do you get any clicks of that? Yeah, it was all right. Does anybody click on that? Yeah, nuance doesn't get you. The traffic, yeah. it seems, which is a shame. But I refuse to subscribe to that lowest common denominator binary outlook on things. It's just not me. I just can't do it. No. And it's one of those things where if something receives that level of praise, it ends up putting me off it a little bit. I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, it can't be. There's no way it can be this. Oh, dangerous. That's a slippery slope, that is. That's how I've lived my life. And that's just, <laughs> doesn't work, let me tell you. Well, The Last of Us, I was going to watch it anyway because of the game. And I was compelled yeah. to see how they did it. And... I'm still watching it for that reason. I'm watching it because I really like it as well. But the reason I started watching it was because of the game. If it wasn't an adaptation of the game and just an HBO show that everybody or lots of people were watching, would I be watching it? The answer is probably not. Nonetheless, it's one that I've got on my list. I think I do want to see that, actually. And the idea that somebody can successfully take a computer game and put it into media is long been something that everybody responds to with, that's not possible, everything is rubbish. I think it's potentially easier when video games these days are a a little bit like playing out a film. That must make it so much easier when people actually have to write plot and scripts. The Last of Us is already cinematic, so the translation isn't quite as jarring as it would be for something else. But you still have to treat it like an adaptation. To my mind, it's almost the same as adapting a book, where you've got this thing in front of you that you have to find the elements that will work in this different medium and play them out in different ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's not just take this and film it. It's find the essence of this and turn it into something else. 
Oh, yeah. Because there's only so many times you want to wade through some zombies and watch that fight scene, or you're going to sneak past this four rooms worth of stuff and do nothing with it. Yeah, it's not much to watch. Yeah, you can't really do a TV show where the main character, Joel, crouch walks into a room and rifles through drawers for 10 minutes <laughs> trying to find supplies. That's just not going to work. But in a video game, that can be interesting gameplay, especially when there's stuff around that you're trying to avoid while you're doing it. Oh, it's a skill thing, then, yeah. Yeah, so it's a different mindset and it's a different way of experiencing it. And so far, at least, they seem to have understood the fact that TV isn't video games, so therefore we have to do something different here. But the cinematic sequences can be almost recreated one-to-one because you're already not really playing some of those. You're pressing forward while it happens or something like that. Or you're sort of running around in a very contained area until you cross a invisible line that triggers the next cutscene and things like that. So it's very easy to turn those into set pieces anyway because they are on rails already. But yeah, if it's on your list, definitely check it out. It's very fun. Fun? No, it's not fun at all. It's quite bleak and yes. <laughs> hard-hitting, but it's good. It's very good. That's my sort of thing. Even more bleak. Yeah. yeah. I've watched a couple of older shows as well. For some reason, and I can't express why, I don't know why I decided to, but I started watching Suits and I really like it. I do quite like legal dramas. I watched the first episode just for something to do and then I've been chipping away at it for the last while. One of the seasons I got to, season four, was a bit soapy. And they weren't doing it very well. But season five seems to have picked up a bit. So quite enjoying it. I don't know if it's something you've ever seen. And no, it's not something I watch because Meghan Markle's in it. I don't really care about her affiliation with the royal family or not affiliation with the royal family. Just she happens to be in it. Laura and I watched it and Meghan Markle was one of the reasons we stopped watching it, but not because of the politics of it. Just because started to get too annoyed, not even just by her, but just annoyed by some of the characters in general. You do want your characters to be flawed, but when everybody is just being awful to each other or everybody's being smug to each other or everybody's being arrogant in the face of each other, it's just think I just have no interest in any of you succeeding. You're either horrible people or you've got a horrible setup. And I know there are considerable storylines where redemption is one of the main points, but despite that, if you need to get redeemed continuously over and over, then you haven't been redeemed in the first place. You can redeem this tiniest bit of your personality and then next week you've got another horrible flaw that you need to learn to redeem. Did you learn anything from last week? No. (laughs) So it just got a bit too, the characters were just a bit too smug and annoying half the time, or they were a bit too self-righteous and annoying for me, and we both end up stopping it. I don't like Meghan Markle's character in the show. I think she's selfish and entitled most of the time, but some of the other characters I find really interesting, and I'll keep going with it at least until I decide not to keep going with it. Or maybe I'll finish it, I don't know. But it's something that I feel that I'm enjoying enough to plod along with whenever I've got time to watch an episode, and then if I drop it, I drop it. It's one of those. It's not going to bother me if I end up just disengaging with it at some point. So we'll see how it continues to play out, I guess. Good actors in it, and they have some really good guest stars and all that good stuff. The other one is another possibly forgotten one, Timeless. I'd finished season one way, way, way back when it was on, and for some reason never picked up season two, so I just started again and watched it all the way through, and generally thought it was really good. I think they lose sight of their time travel rules multiple times. I think the characters get a bit all over the place as well as time goes on but it's generally quite a fun show and I think it lasted the amount of time it needed to so yeah I don't think it was cut down in its prime or anything like that although those last two episodes were hilariously rushed 
when they got given two episodes to wrap up their story and they tried to in an hour and a half and it was hilarious just how they were crossing off the items on the list they felt they needed to cover off. Yeah, it's too fast. I mean, I really enjoyed the show. And I won't challenge what you've said about it, but I did get enjoyment out of it. But I think any show where they try to wrap up for the fans, it's never going to work in that short amount of time. No, definitely not. One thing I forgot to say when talking about Suits is there's maybe a podcast discussion to be had at some point about most popular occupations depicted in fiction. You've got things like lawyers and doctors and things like that. Why those? What makes them the ones that are most interesting dramatically? Maybe there's something in that. I suspect there's a simple argument around why do people watch royalty? You want to see people at the top. You want to see people doing well and what it's like to be up there. But by all means, launch it and give us an agenda and we'll have a look. If listeners want it, then we can think about it. But that's it for TV, film. There's been less. I saw Babylon the Damien Chazelle film. I didn't really like it. It just wasn't for me. I know a lot of people are liking it and I know it's very polarising for some people as well. And some of it's very difficult to watch in terms of how explicit it can get. So I personally wouldn't recommend it. I've seen it advertised on a bus, but never actually done anything about going to see it. So yeah, I'll leave your comments on that. I saw Plane, the Jerry Butler film where he's a pilot. They crash in the middle of a war zone and or crash land in the middle of a war zone and he has to protect his passengers. It's very fun. It's a good example of one of those mid-budget action movies. Something that seems to be a bit of a lost art, but some effort was put in. I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it was good. And Jared Butler can carry these things really well. So I'd recommend watching it. It's got Luke Cage in it as well. Not the character, but the guy who played him. Mike Coulter. So give it a watch if you feel like you could spend an hour and a half watching it. And the last thing is The Legion of Superheroes, which is the latest DC animated film. I thought it was really good. The recent slate of DC animated stuff has been very, very strong, dipping into more obscure parts of the universe some of the time. So you've got characters like Superman and Batman in these stories, but they're secondary players in a lot of them, which is a good thing for expanding out because I've criticised the animated films and we'll talk about that later for having too many Batman films. So it's nice to see, oh yeah, let's play with the Legion in the 31st century or let's play with Green Lantern who hasn't had as much attention as they should have and so on. But Legion of Superheroes is really good. It's worth a watch. What you've said does seem to link perfectly into a certain announcement that just has been made at a certain time today. Yeah, we'll talk about that more in a bit. So that's me for TV and film. That's quite a few things, actually. I've been quite prolific. I think I went for the first episode watch of a bunch of stuff, so I'm not just talking about the same three shows every month that I've been watching. So I had something different to talk about this month. Is that personal growth? I don't know. It's something. You thought about your audience. That's good. I did. I gave them some thought. Do you have anything to plug before we move on to trailers? Plug? Oh, I don't know that I do plugs. No, I'm just me. You're just you. <laughs> the plugs I've got are connected to Legion of Superheroes. I did some interviews. I interviewed the director, the writer, the supervising producer, and an actor who's in it. Yuri Lowenthal was the actor. He also voices Spider-Man in the PS4 slash five games. So that was really cool to talk to him. He voices Monel in the film. So it was really cool talking to him for 10 minutes. Those interviews will be on your podcast feed by the time this comes out. I quite like doing the press for these things because you get to talk to some really interesting people. Meg Donnelly, who's in the Winchesters, is in the film, but I didn't get an interview with her, unfortunately. She voices Supergirl in the film. Anyway, shall we think about some trailers? Oh, hold on. I have to take this phone call. I will be back in a moment. Well, I'll see you when you get back. If you get back. 
Hello? Let's play a game. You do know there's like 10 guys that have tried this already. I'm hoping that it's going to work out for this particular dipshit. (laughs) (laughs) Number 11 is the best one. Well, hello, Angus. You once again failed to hide your identity as a serial killer, so you're not doing this very well. Damn it. There'll be no Netflix documentary about your exploits. Oh, man, I need to break into that true crime demo. That sweet, sweet true crime. Yeah. Well, if Halloween's to be believed, they can pay thousands for interviews, the true crime podcast. Oh, really? 2018 Halloween, yeah, the characters at the start, they're podcasters and they're willing to pay like three grand or something like that for a podcast appearance. Yeah, I've got to work it out, see what the break-even point is. Yeah. So Scream 6, we got another trailer already. Scream 6, Ghostface has a gun now, I think is the subtitle. <laughs> what did you think of this teaser as a Scream aficionado? I was interested by it. In the past, many times I have complained about things that I don't like and then will be completely hypocritical about things that I do like using those tactics and because I like them, it's fine by me. There's enough that they're kind of taking in a different direction with this trailer that, you know, if I'd been more cynical and not looking forward to it, I'd probably think, oh no, they've changed this or oh no, I've seen that before. But I trust in the Scream team. So things like seeing Ghostface using a shotgun or the kind of worn, degraded mask and elements of these sorts of things we've seen done before. So again, I probably have criticised exactly these sorts of things in the past, but with this, I'm holding on to a hope that this is all going to work out. I'm wondering where the satire comes from this time, because last one, they were clearly riffing on legacy sequels. Yeah. And how that was all the rage. But what now? I mean, it's only been a year. So what's new? One of the interesting parts that I pulled out from this trailer is the kind of shrine that the characters discover. And it's a sort of shrine to all of the screams of the past. What, the bat cave? Yeah, yeah, Scream Cave. Brings you with all sorts of questions like, how did anyone get their hands on all of this stuff from every previous crime? How does that play into the plot at all? Have they been involved at some stage? Have they had access to all of this evidence? But when I was thinking about it and when I was seeing what I could pull out from that and what I could recognise in that Scream Cave, I was thinking, I wonder if that's the meta element. We're here talking about this on a podcast. (laughs) And is that going to tie into it about people's obsessions with the past and their pop culture favourites, things that I've already been accused of in this short segment. It could be. It feels like a year isn't enough time to latch on to something that's topical, if you know what I mean, because the previous films, there was enough of a gap where you get a sense of, okay, this is what horror is doing now, or this is what's going on in the cinematic landscape that we can riff on. Yeah, But in this, it was just a year ago. Nothing's really happened in that year. True. Yeah, there's probably less development for them to kind of build into the overall piece. So yeah, maybe it's got to be more of a narrative-driven thing about why does this Ghostface claim that there's never been one like him or her? Something different. Off the top of my head, I was thinking about one thing they could go after is the almost fetishization of these serial killers. Because on Netflix, you had the Dahmer show that people were talking about Evan Peters being attractive and things like that. You get this almost separation from the reality of these things when they're fictionalized. And you could almost do that with Scream because there is a fictional film franchise within that universe. So you could talk about how people just get away from the fact that this really happened or a version of this really happened. But it doesn't seem like that's what they're doing here. No, and obviously the whole thing has been built around what's your favourite scary movie. So we know that in the universe of these films, the characters and the killers are inspired or have watched all of the movies that they're referencing and you see a lot of the killers and characters from those franchises in this trailer. So we know that this all exists and that they are aware of these things. So yeah, I wonder if that all builds in as well, although that doesn't really feel like much of a development because it's always been there. It's been there right from the start of the franchise. Yeah, and they're drawing on the 
sister of the original killer thing that's in the trailer it's mentioned mm-hmm. courtney cox is there again for some reason <laughs> she's the only og returning character by the looks of things i'm wondering if there's going to be some kind of surprise or twist that we don't know about maybe the casting gives that away or doesn't but yeah i kind of think of these three sorts of eras of the original trilogy scream 4 being its own standalone that had that gap and then there was that other gap to five so they're kind of pulling those characters together the killer will take off his mask or her mask and be revealed to be neve campbell yeah (laughs) i did think that but then didn't she have a fallout with the whole production side not being offered enough or something i don't know she's done enough of these anyway that's what she wanted us to think it's all part of the meta marketing of the yeah it could be (laughs) if they took it into real life and were doing all these kind of works and things i don't know if they'd go that far we've got hayden panachair back in this she's in this trailer she talks about being experienced in this and they're all in this together or something like that that's in the trailer everybody was apparently wondering what happened to her after the fourth one i wasn't i didn't think about it (laughs) Yeah, and to be honest, I haven't had enough time with 4 and 5, and I've had enough time with 4, I suppose, that I could have <laughs> been into it. But um, I feel far more of a connection with the original trilogy just because I grew up with those and watched them over and over again. I feel like I'm letting this side down by not having done the same with 4 and 5 to this point, but it's difficult to have nostalgia for things that aren't quite as old or that you're not as familiar with. But I'm wondering how much they're going to try and lean on the whole quintology (laughs) because again for me i personally feel that connection with with the originals and feel like any references to those go over a lot better with me but then i think if you want to treat the whole thing as equal parts then you need to pull in bits from four and five as well someone reminded me that they haven't ever resolved what happened to matthew lillard's character from the second one i don't really remember but apparently that's a loose thread that they could pick up i don't really remember there was maybe a hint that he was the killer or he didn't actually die or i don't know right i can't remember he can't feature much in two. No, he's dragged into a van early on, isn't he? Or something. I can't remember. I watched them just before I saw five as well. It wasn't that long ago. Jamie Kennedy gets dragged into a van, but then his whole okay. thing is that he's the sort of uncle or the relative or something in five, and he's got his portrait on the wall, shrined to his memory. Because <laughs> <laughs> so memorable, apparently. <laughs> Randy. But Ghostface has a gun, which seems more practical than anything else. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite strange to see. I'm sure the people who are under the mask have used firearms once they're unmasked, but yeah, it's quite odd to watch Ghostface stalking around with a shotgun. There's been some really good memes cropping up with the convenience store setting, just any convenience store in other films. They splice in the picture of Ghostface with whoever they did it with Andrew Garfield and the Amazing Spider-Man, for example. (laughs) Him looking at the the shopkeeper or whatever, and then (laughs) the next frame is... Ghostface. So they've done that with a few things. That was quite entertaining. Oh, I'm sure there must be so many you can do. Like Venom, there's some fairly famous convenience (laughs) store scene. So did anything else stand out to you from this trailer? I suppose when they're crawling around in the convenience store to try and avoid Ghostface, it it gave me flashbacks to avoiding raptors in a Jurassic Park kitchen. (laughs) But that's maybe not what they were going for because those aren't the scary movies that they tend to reference. Yeah. I hope we get a cool sequence out of the multiple Ghostfaces with the real one hiding among the pretend in costume that were just out for Halloween. Yeah, that feels like a familiar sort of scene that they might have done. But yeah, I liked seeing more of the subway car and the other famous movie killers on that as well. Trying to pick out as many as I could there. I think the things that stuck out were the shrine. Had lots of questions about that and where that is going to take them. Again, we've had those sorts of obsessive fans or people that are tied into the lore and mythology and want to be their part of the story in the past that have turned out to be killers. I'm intrigued by there's never been one like me. I'm something different. I don't know what could 
possibly be different at this stage. Promising a lot there, pals. Yeah. Makes me think something supernatural, but then that doesn't ring true for me. Everything's very kind of grounded. As grounded as you can be when you've got all this madness going on, but not strange, otherworldly stuff. I would probably jump the shark a bit if they just suddenly introduced ghosts and whatever. Yeah. It was a bit odd to see the ghost of Billy in the previous one. He wasn't a ghost, he was a memory, but you know what I mean. I suppose, yes, that was a touch that hadn't happened before that did feel a bit out of place. Yeah, I suppose it just expands a bit more. I think what I said last time was that I was slightly nervous about the city setting, but I like seeing it now. I like the more development you get in this trailer and the possible references to Jason Takes Manhattan or Muppets Take Manhattan, possibly, because there's all these other references to other movies. It's digging into the same sort of stuff that we're used to with this franchise. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Could be a reference to that in there somewhere. Could be. Watch out for Donald Trump. Just in general. Yeah, just a piece of advice. At all types. Freddy, Pinhead, Babadook, Trump. He's probably on that subway car somewhere. <laughs> he will be. Someone will be dressed as him. He'll be a Halloween costume. Yeah. It's truly terrifying. Maybe the next generation of slashers will have an inside out Donald Trump mask that the killer wears. Yeah, we've reached peak horror. Definitely. Before I let you go, we should talk about something else that very few others will have any interest in. Maybe you don't either, but we have a special coming up. Power Rangers is turning 30, which is insane. Physically wounds me to see that that is turning 30, (laughs) but it is. And they're doing a big special on Netflix, which looks like a special episode that they're bringing back some old faces. And let's face it, some of those faces do look kind of old (laughs) to team up for something. The featurette they released is just this collection of people that are really excited about being back and really eager to be in costume again and loving the legacy of what they have created or helped create and things like that. What did you think of this teaser of the special that they're making? About the Retro Rangers. Well, I was impressed by how good some of them look. And then, as you've just suggested, some of them maybe less so. And I also wondered about what a lot of these people have been up to in the intervening years some of them have probably seen a bit more success than others so that might explain why they're a bit more excited about being called up again for one last go they've just been going to power rangers conventions for the last 30 years and dining on that (laughs) of the people that are featured in it who do you think is the most successful who's had the most post rangers success i'm honestly not sure i know that the original pink ranger emmy joe johnson she turned down appearing in the special because the offered her something, but it wasn't enough for her to return, so it wasn't worth her while, apparently. Mm. But she's been fairly successful. She's had a successful-ish directing career. She directed and financed her own film, or crowdfunded her own film. Mm. She directed an episode of Superman and Lois, of all things. So her, Jason David Frank, who is no longer with us, he took his own life a couple of months ago, or a month ago, which is awful. He was probably the most successful as in he managed to spin out his time in Power Rangers into a business of making his own dojo and all his martial arts stuff and mm-hmm. it helped him prop up his career that. I think a lot of the actors on this have been doing martial arts or physical stuff so they haven't really acted so much. Let's face it they're not great actors most of them. <laughs> They're fine for what Power Rangers was and you sort of glom onto them as characters and you really engage with them that way. But they're not the best actors. Even Jason David Frank is not a good actor. But he managed to have a presence that lasted over time. And I think that's the same for most of them. But I think they all spun off their own projects, kickstarted by their fame from Power Rangers Mm -hmm. in some way or another. So whether that be athletics or gymnastics or whatever, they got into all that. Yeah, and I think those performances all lasted and obviously resonated with enough people to make it very successful back in the day. And all of those 
kids who are watching it back then are now, sorry to say this, 30 years older. <laughs> and it's for them. I've mentioned my nostalgia for the last property we were talking about but it wouldn't be there if people didn't like it back then and if it's gonna work for you and all those other fans then why not yeah and they all seem pretty excited it's interesting seeing david yost back because he quit the show due to rampant homophobia on the set Mm -hmm. not from his fellow actors as i understand it but it was coming from the higher ups when it was found out that he was gay they made his life very difficult and then there was pay parity issues and whatever so they forced him out essentially yeah, and that's a real shame, but I suppose it's good to see him back and that obviously there's been some kind of resolution there. Yeah, it, probably the, the people that were doing that to him aren't there anymore and he's back. But yeah, I'm glad that he's obviously happy to revisit this and it couldn't have been a very easy time for him back then, so great that he's in a better place. It's interesting seeing those costumes in HD. <laughs> I did wonder as well about some of them and whether or not they had to prepare to don the Lycra again. I think they've all come back at various stages over the years. Every now and again they do some Power Rangers team up. Every five years or something like that they celebrate an anniversary by doing a let's get all the Red Rangers together or let's bring some old faces in to team up with this new team. Basically every time they do a new Power Rangers series they do some form of team up with an old group or mm collection of characters so i think they've been in it and plus if like i say i I don't know the ins and outs i could have researched it but i didn't but if they've been keeping themselves trim doing all sorts of athletics or martial arty stuff then it's just age isn't it it's holding them back yeah no longer teenagers with attitude (laughs) were they ever teenagers with attitude (laughs) yes it's a lot more difficult to buy that now yeah I wonder what the special will be about. I wonder what the plot will be. What other elements they might bring back from retro rangerdom. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it'd be interesting. But it looks like it'll be exactly for me. And maybe it'll tickle that nostalgia bone for me. Because it's something I've never let go of, really. Yeah, well, I hope it is good for your sake. And I hope they enjoy it. Because, yes, it's one of your favourites, I believe, from back then. Yeah, I think once you're into something or once something makes an indelible impression on you at a young age you just can't get rid of it yes we've probably encountered many of those topics over the years on this podcast all the things that i will irrationally love just because (laughs) i was exactly the right age when they hit me i always remember seeing the trailer for that transformers movie that had the dinobots in it whichever one that was and you'd talked about how much you hate the michael bay transformer movies and you were like oh god grimlock yeah i have to see this I know, I can't help myself. And then you saw it and it was probably exactly what you expected it to be. Yes, it was as disappointing as I expected. (laughs) I couldn't help thinking about a robot that transforms into a T-Rex. It's the abused spouse syndrome, isn't it? Maybe this time, maybe he won't hit me this time. (laughs) If I give him one more chance, maybe this time he'll change. Michael Bay will never change. But yes, Power Rangers, they're doing something with it, but don't know what. It's just in April, there's going to be a special on Netflix, which I may not have access to by April, depending on what they do with this whole password sharing malarkey that they're planning to do. But I've no doubt that you will get your hands on it and probably end up talking about it here. Unless, as you said, there aren't that many contributors that you're able to convince to talk about Power Rangers. You could just do a monologue. Even though it's our most popular episode. <laughs> Maybe this is it. This is the long overdue follow-up. Yes. It has to be. But anyway, I must get back to Aaron so that we can continue discussing the news of the month and other trailers and other things. So thank you for threatening me once again. You're very welcome anytime. There won't be any more screen chat before the film is out, so we'll see how that Hands out. Someone will talk about having seen it on a future news pod, probably. Yes, they will. Indeed, they will. Thank you again for threatening me. I will go and cower and fear my life now. Do so accordingly.
Okay, I'm back. Angus did not kill me. He said he might phone you next to kill you. All right, okay. I'll uh, not answer then. Does that get me out of it? You just don't answer? Does that, does that work? No, I think he'll just jump out of the closet or something and stab you oh. if you don't answer. All right, well, I've got my pen here that I'm taking notes with, so I'm ready. The phone call is just a preamble that gives him some fun before he does the killing. It's almost like the modern iteration of Scream is the person Googles the number before they answer it, because that's what we all do now. Exactly, yes. I don't recognise this number, I'm not answering it. Anyway, that was that interlude, first of all, to talk about the Scream trailer, but let's move on to trailers. So we've got the arc. I left this on even though it will be out by the time this goes out. It'll have started by then. But I just thought it would be an interesting sci-fi thing to put on here because we're both sci-fi people. So what were your thoughts on this trailer? Well, the word interesting is interesting because I'm afraid my first thought was I don't think I'm going to remember this in a few minutes after having watched it. I didn't see what was original. I didn't see what was going to grab me. I didn't see what was not been done before. Where is the new plot? So I have already forgotten the trailer, I think, purely for that reason. Did anything actually grab you about it to say, oh, yeah, you must watch this? Now, my notes are quite similar to yours. I said familiar premise. We have seen this ship in distress, breaks down, they have to survive somehow type scenario before. I think the acting based on the trailer looked very dubious. You know when you can tell someone is acting rather than an actual performance when you feel like you're just watching a character? You feel like you're watching a real person? Yeah, they're not in the moment. Yeah, I felt like they were acting and that really put me off. So will I watch the first episode and talk about it next month? I don't know. We talked about it when the premise was announced some months ago and I think Chris said he thought it sounded really cool and then All right. it seems like the end product based on this trailer is a bit underwhelming but and then maybe it's just a bad trailer. Good marketing in that first instance could potentially be bad marketing in the second. But to me, the bits that the marketing team picked out, I wish I'd been clever enough with my notes, but I wrote down that one scene is effectively the same as Danger Will Robinson. You know, they'd hit every base that they could think of from previous films or TV of this nature. Yeah. So if you are just going to recycle ideas, that's bad. If that is just, as you say, a bad trailer that the marketing team have put together and it missells it, then fine. But unfortunately, based on what I have seen, I wouldn't go near it, which is a shame. Yeah, okay, let's move on. There might be some more detailed thoughts on it next month if anybody watches it, who knows. Renfield, that's the film where Nicolas Cage plays Dracula. I thought the trailer was cool. I'm not a huge fan of Nicholas Holt. I find him bland most of the time, but there's plenty of manic energy in this trailer. And I love that it builds to the reveal of Nicholas Cage. And then when he appears in full Dracula regalia, it does not disappoint. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun. It's undeniable that sometimes you can just go, Nicholas Cage, ha ha ha. And everybody goes, yep, that's yep. right. And I think this is one of those ones where you, you can do that and everybody's fully on board. I really liked Renfield as portrayed as somebody who was just fed up <laughs> and he could do it and he could fight and he could solve various problems, but it's just, I don't want to. And that kind of won me over, I think. And it was fun and entertaining. I'm not somebody who watches Nicolas Cage. I'm not somebody that even necessarily enjoys Nicolas Cage making fun of himself. I don't really get much out of it, but this was enough to win me. Although I don't think it was seeing him come out with the build-up. If that had been all it was, I'm not convinced that would have done enough. So it really was the Renfield character himself got me, and I would give it a go. 
Renfield is your board office worker who's been doing it for too long almost. Well, more than that, he's actually working for a really hideous big farmer or big oil company, but his contract won't let him out of it. So he knows he has to do these horrible things and murder a field full of seals just to cover up the oil spill. So yeah, well, I'll go see this for sure in the cinema and I think it'll be fun. Polite Society, this seems to be a festival darling it's about a Muslim woman that wants to become a stunt woman. Yeah. It's a diverse riff on something familiar, which we seem to be getting a lot of at the moment. And I like the fact that we're getting that because it's the idea that these stories can be applied to any background. Yes. And you can make something out of it. I think it looks really good. The cast are really engaged, some really cool stunt work, and you would expect that because it's a film about someone trying to be a stunt woman. So if they get the stunt wrong, then what are you even doing here? Well, yeah. I will see this. It looks really cool. And... Like I said, I like it when they try and just take familiar stories that we see all the time and apply them to backgrounds that don't get the attention that they should. So I think all of that that you've just said is the reasons that I should like it and should watch it, and they should be the reasons at the top of my notes. But I think it's quite telling that the thing that is at the top of my notes is I think it's something that portrays a much better inclusion than anything else. Not anything else, than lots of other things we're seeing up at the moment and you don't want that to be the big topic you don't want that to be the big sell and i don't think it is i think it should be just what you do as the base point and then you move on and talk about all the good things that it actually is but it stuck out to me that they didn't seem to try and destroy anybody cancel anybody or riff on what's awful in order to sell the film at all they just sold it on here's some really positive things that I want to do. It's not necessarily going to be easy. I'm going to have to fight for it. I'm going to have to try and prove myself in this challenging world, but didn't have to lose half of the trailer to just attacking and vengeance. I do need to put that aside then because I say you don't want that to be the headline, but it's so hard in this modern internet web of pain to not focus on it. But to end on it then, I go back to what you said, yes, you watched it and you saw that effort put into story and, and the stunt action and it was inviting. So I, I would also definitely watch it. It seems to be built around the my mother doesn't want me to do this conflict, which again is something that you can apply to almost any background because parents not wanting their kids to go down a particular path in life is a very old story. Yes. Well, any conservative household from any nation or culture or background will have that we don't think you should do this other. It should make it very relatable, actually, outside of the culture that it's been written in. Yeah, that will be out fairly soon in the next couple of months. The next trailer is for Bo is Afraid. I probably won't watch this. It really? seems a bit too out there for me. The Ari Aster films I have seen, I think I've only seen one of them, actually, Hereditary, which I didn't like. I didn't see Midsummer because people told me it was really gruesome and I don't do well with gruesome, so I didn't watch it. But this, it doesn't look like it's my sort of thing. It seems a little bit too weird for me, so I think I'll swerve it. This is definitely one for me. I just feel for that main character straight away. The idea of an analysis of what's real and what's catastrophizing is something that's going to immediately appeal to anybody. I th- well, I say appeal to, it might be too horrifying, but it appealed to me as somebody who has that 
anxiety concerns to deal with. Just looking at someone going, oh yeah, if I let myself go that far, yeah, I could do that. And I mustn't. Somebody's really taken it to that extreme. So I definitely have to see this. Have you seen Ari Aster's other work, the ones I referenced? The only one I know of is Midsummer, and I haven't watched it because Laura watched it. And we had a discussion about it afterwards, and she was telling me, so there's this, 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 and this. And it sounded awful. It just sounded truly awful that they'd got some real cheap points in there that weren't earned or built on or meaningful. It was just, look at this lovely thing. Oh, isn't it lovely to look at? It's meaningful. No, you didn't earn that. That's secondhand. I haven't seen it, but Laura really talked me out of seeing it. So I could end up in exactly the same response, going to see this myself. And maybe that will actually help me if I've got one good thing and one bad thing going in, because I won't hopefully fall down to the problems of expectation. If I know it could go one way or the other, I won't be watching and waiting. So yeah, this is definitely one for me. Cool. You did say that Laura is a harsher critic than you in a lot of ways in terms of how quickly she'll turn away from something. Well, very specifically in that one thing, they say that you've got to catch people in your opening scene if you have any hope of making them watch the rest of your story. With Laura, you've got one or two minutes and she'll turn away. (laughs) Very unforgiving of somebody's opening. It it has to be that good or she'll take it as, no, the rest of it's going to be exactly like this. That's hardcore. It is. It's telling that she watched all the way through it means it wasn't presented in a truly awful fashion. It must mean that the direction had something to it. It must mean that the story had something to it, but it's just that at the end it failed to deliver. So I can't say that she thought it was a truly awful piece, but it did seem like it was a bit of a letdown on the premise it set up from her perspective. Fair enough. Well, you can report back once you've seen this one. Well, yeah, fair play. Next up, we're back in video game adaptation land again with a sneak peek at Gran Turismo, which is more of a featurette than a trailer, but there is some footage of the film itself. Basically, it's a video game adaptation, but it's Gran Turismo, which has no story, so it's just a racing film, really. In Gran Turismo, you don't play a character at all, but you're a racing driver that's starting a career as a racing driver, and you progress through it by driving through cups and stuff. There's no narrative there, but there is progression. You can turn that into a story easily enough. You have your driver that starts from nothing and becomes the best. But I was quite captivated by the cinematography of the racing that they showed in this sneak peek. It kind of looks like it could be the Top Gun Maverick of cars, which is pretty cool. And it has to be. If it's Gran Turismo, you have to be aiming for that. There's part of me that didn't get it for that, though, actually. I think if they'd have said, here's a racing film, and here's this big story, and you say the top gun of racing, where all this drama happens. But the preview that we got was a lot more of interviewing the drivers about their interesting career. Like, okay, well, you're going to do a race and then interview people. You keep referencing Gran Turismo. And, oh, okay, but aren't they just the sponsor? They just want you to say the words often enough so you think, oh yeah, I've got that game in my cupboard, I'll go and play that. Or there's a new one coming out, I assume. I mean, I've not seen anything. There was a new one last year. Right. But it, I don't know, I just got so hung up on the fact it's Gran Turismo. All right. Okay. Tell me who your sponsor is, but I'm not bothered. <laughs> I think I would have felt more interested in it if they'd have done, as you say, the Top Gun. If you see the Top Gun trailers where you've got not just the flying, 
but the drama that goes with it and the threat that goes with that flying. I'm not saying I wanted to see cars crash and explosions and bombs and so on, but I needed to see that drama sequence. I needed to see somebody lose a race, I think, or somebody win a race, or the bad guy do something that prevented the good guy from succeeding. I needed that. The fact that it's just a racing car film wasn't enough to grab me. Maybe that's the one where they tried to grab the people what had played the game. And then I would understand that. If that's what that was aimed at, then I would say, yes, you're right. That massive success. If that was the one that was aimed at the general public, not sure about it. But maybe that trailer is coming out next. Yeah, this is only a sneak peek. So it's pretty clear they haven't got enough post-production done to give you a full trailer. So they're going to give you a few shots and some interviews with the actors and then move on from there. But there'll be a full trailer at some point which might deliver those things you're talking about, or some of those things you're talking about. I would need to see that then. I imagine it won't be far off. The next couple of months, there'll be a full trailer. Right. But yeah, certainly what they showed of the racing looks really cool, because there's been infinite racing films, so how do you make it dynamic? And it looks like it's going to be, yeah, we're really in the cars, and we're going to spin the camera around the cars in ways that no one's done that before, and whatever. That's why I said the Top Gun Maverick approach, because that film does things with flight sequences that have never been done before. Yeah, fair play. So this film kind of needs to do that to stand out. We'll find out what happens there. The next trailer is something that I really have very little to say on because I don't watch this show and have no opinion. But the Mandalorian Season 3 trailer. What do you think of the Mandalorian Season 3 trailer? Well, I was going to want to see Mandalorian Season 3 anyway because I'm a fan of the show. But actually, I did enjoy the trailer because it promised that we would see a lot more of Mandalorians and Mandaloria, whilst showing you that there's going to be more of that body movie aspect of Grogu and obviously who we thought was going to be the Mandalorian at the start. But those people that put out those theories that Baby Yoda Grogu is actually going to be the titular Mandalorian, it's now starting to really bear fruit, that theory. So all of these things promised in that trailer, I think, add perfectly onto the old season and don't have that problem of how can we get more Jedi in this and how can we get more old characters into it? Now, I don't doubt for a second that there will be some of those. There's a lot of Jedi in the trailer, isn't there? Well, there's Jedi flashback in the trailer. Looks like Order 66 again. Which is relevant to Grogu's backstory. I mean, I'm not saying that it's definitely going to be valuable and worth seeing. It's just that it could be because it's connected to him. It's not connected to Luke Skywalker. It's not connected to Yoda. It's connected specifically to one of the children that escaped. And it's going to be a very important thing for his character to have to deal with his fear. Because you've seen the previous stories, Luke had to deal with his fears and passed. Anakin had to deal with his fear and failed. And you know it's coming. It's just built as part of growing up with Jedi power. So I do want to see that because it's going to be part of his progression. Harder because he's a wee toddler that can't speak. So that's why you often have to have your Ahsoka and your Luke in there, because they need to be able to vocalise Grogu's journey, which is an interesting choice for something that we originally thought the character that was going to be a mascot is now going to be a central emotional character. I have to admit, I'm thinking, how on earth are you going to do this? But so far, as I say, they've solved it by bringing in other characters to talk. And I don't want to see a lot of that, but I don't mind seeing some of it, as long as it's played out with his choices in the show, in the plot. And there's one part at the end where he blatantly uses the Force in what could be quite a callous manner. There's 
big, huge threat, I just knock you aside and I walk up. Am I in danger of laughing? Well, that's a bit Sith if you're going to actually start looking down at somebody and judging them as lesser than you because you can use that force. So they can bring that development of his character into his actions still. So yes, the Jedi in there, but the majority of what's in the foreground plot, if not all of it, was pretty much just showing you Mandalorians. The fact that they're going out and regathering them, they're going to rebuild the planet. Bo-Katan is going to have to make that really big choice of the fact that she can't be the leader based on the plot of the previous shows. And yet she has to be the leader according to what she wants. And that was one of the most brilliant points of the end of that season where they had to deal with who got the Darksaber and how. And I really want to see that play out because it's politics. So I think we're definitely going to get our action based on this. We've also been promised that political wrangling. And the trailer doesn't say that you're going to get all of this. But I think by focusing on Mandalore, by saying, yes, it's going to be all about the Mandalorians themselves, it suggests that we will. So, yeah, I'm on board. I thought it was a good trailer. It made me want to see it. Well, based on what you've said, it sounds like they're leaning into their own mythology, so to speak, or their own corner of the Star Wars universe rather than necessarily pulling in all this stuff from other sides of it which is something that Star Wars often gets accused of pointing at things and saying remember this and we don't need story now because you remember this that's part of what I found off putting about Obi-Wan as there's a podcast attesting to and various other things as well I'm getting a bit sick of fan service pandering because normally it comes at the expense of actual storytelling that was one of the good things about Andor it was its own thing it was set in that universe and there were characters and elements in there but they all made sense within the framework of what they were developing within that show so at no point during Andor did I ever feel pandered to as a fan of Star Wars I felt like things that were there needed to be there rather than were just there because you'll recognize that person or whatever if the Mandalorian's doing that then more power to it I'm not gonna catch up and watch it though it's too late it's not for me but there will be Star Wars things that I will engage with. Not everything in a franchise has to be for me, is something I always say. I think Andor is definitely the best they've done in the modern Star Wars. I won't deny that. Agreed. Mandalorian has still been one of the most enjoyable shows that I've watched in a long time. And it's on our list of stuff, has the rare pride of place of being something I'm really looking forward to. It'll be one of the few things that I will watch it the day it comes out. They've earned that for me, which is something that I find I rarely give to any show now. Even stuff I sort of like, I still don't. Even 1899, I liked it, but I didn't watch it as soon as it came out, which I will do with The Mandalorian. Maybe coax you to do a podcast with Chris or whoever when it's all over. We'll see. See how time goes. Don't hold us to that, listeners, because sometimes it doesn't happen. Okay, moving on. Trailer for Hello Tomorrow. This is something I like the look of. I really enjoy the retro future aesthetic of these types of things, although the 50s but the future thing is a little bit overdone, I think. I could probably point to 10 things that have tried that and delivered that sort of look. But I really like it. I think the premise is interesting, the whole idea of we're going to go live on the moon and what's up there and what's it going to be like up there? And Like I say, the retro future of 50s Cadillacs that they fly and stuff like that. Like I say, it's a little bit familiar, but there's something about it. There's a reason to keep doing it because 
people like the sleekness of it, I suppose. Well, it's very important almost for the American audience. This is something I would watch out of interest, but it does feel like you're looking through the window into somebody else's living room. The commentary on American society, on the American dream, on what it's like to work in the American workplace is something that I am very glad I do not have to share. I don't envy the American working life at all. Because it's sold as this, you can achieve godhood by working hard. And then you look at some of the other stuff where it says, but it'll be painful and you might die along the way because nobody cares about you. So it just seems so horrible if you're not one of the 1%. So I don't want to live in it. But yeah, looking through that window and just seeing what it's like for the other side is really interesting. I do wonder if they're going to comment on the modern American life. And I do wonder how easy it is to do without choosing left or right side of politics and whether that will make it preachy. Or maybe they're not, and they're just going to go back to further commentary on the American dream as was. But then you're thinking, that's been done before, so maybe you do need to do something modern. So I would definitely watch to see where they're going. Unless you can tell me where you think. Have they already chosen a path on that? Did you get that from the trailer? Is it going to be modern commentary? I have no idea, based on this trailer. It seems to be selling its, like you say, the American dream stuff, which is a common story, isn't it? How many things have we seen about the rags to riches person, the person that Mm. came off the boat, so to speak, with nothing and ended up being the most powerful man in the world. That's the American dream. But it's the other way around, isn't it? The really common thing they're showing at the moment is quite a lot of people that don't make it and the horror of trying and failing. That's actually become quite common to see there. Yeah, the optimistic look at it is, if you work 80 hours a week, then one day you might be at the top of the pile. Or... You might just burn out and have severe mental health issues and severe physical health issues. Both are possible. Most people end up with the second one, to be honest. But everyone that succeeds gets to stand on you, so it's all possible. It doesn't sound great when you put it like that. But I think something like this does have to acknowledge the reality of how the world works. Because that whole naive attitude of, I can come off this boat with a couple of bucks in my pocket and 10 years later I run my own company and I'm really successful. It seems to be a fallacy, at least for most people. What was that one that Kirsten Dunst did recently? She did a TV show that was the same sort of idea. I think she only got one series and it was that bleak commentary of if you try and make it in a pyramid scheme, which is just horrendous. It reminded me of that and I don't know why Kirsten Dunst didn't get picked up for another series and whether the same problem would hold this one back. It's just no, that's too grim. We don't want to see it. We need to see something that's a bit more happy and positive, please. Because if the Americans aren't watching this, then can it be popular? Because it's about them. I don't know. be interesting to see if it succeeds where Kirsten's failed. On Becoming a God in Central Florida is what it's called. That's the one. It is an Apple TV Plus show, and something Chris always says is, Apple TV don't release a lot of content, but everything they release is really good. Okay, because they dedicate themselves to it. Fair enough. Yeah, it's not the Netflix approach of, let's just throw everything out there and hopefully something will stick. 
in people's brain for five minutes. So give it a watch maybe when it comes out. It does look interesting. Moving on, we have The Boogeyman, which is a very recent trailer, at least as we record it. I put it on here because I thought it looked pretty interesting. The idea of this primal fear of kids being afraid of monsters under their bed or in the closet. The really interesting idea. And the Boogeyman, or for UK listeners, The Bogeyman, is possibly the first horror myth that most people become aware of. That thing that's passed around the playground and stuff like that. And I think whenever they try and do a concept like this in a film or TV show or whatever, what you tend to find is the theory of it is more interesting than the actual execution of it. And I think this trailer does a good job of seeming creepy, and if it sustains that over the run of the film, then that'll be a good thing. But I don't know if it'll be the definitive take on the boogeyman as a concept or not, but it looks interesting. I thought it was interesting. I can't watch it. It'll be too terrifying for me. I'm far (laughs) too much of a coward to be watching horror stuff. I don't need to see people horribly stolen away, mutilated and killed and tortured and so on. Despite all the dark stuff you watch. Oh, yeah, there's enough going on in my head. I don't need to add to that. That's fine. (laughs) So I won't watch it. But I thought it was an awesome trailer. The thing I really liked about it, though, was not that it was that primal fear for the child, which is the foreground, but that, and I don't know if I can call it primal fear, but deep-seated fear of losing your child. Because the boogeyman is explicitly stated as the thing that comes and takes your child when you're not watching closely enough. Yeah. And every parent in the modern era for Britain since Madeleine McGann and other children who were equally as horribly taken is thinking that I mean my parents always say that when me and my sister were growing up you did not have that much of a fear you obviously had the natural fear as a parent that's not something that she was saying you didn't have but it's more that you weren't looking around every corner for the child snatcher You didn't have to worry that you were going to a holiday resort and one of the people at the resort would be a child snatcher. And now, any child who is more than a meter from their parents, you know that there's a thought in someone's mind, that kid could be gone in seconds. It doesn't take much. There's whole TV series built on that premise. They have whole drama series where the parent looks away. Oh, that's an interesting thing in that shot window. I turn back, my child is gone. They always make it that brutal that it's just you look away for a second and this whole film is going to be based on that what i wasn't sure about though is they make such a big deal in the trailer about the kid being afraid of the cupboard but then they tell me the film's about the parent being afraid of losing the child and so i'm thinking well hang on then the horror film needs to be set outside the house because that's where you lose your kid you don't lose your kid in the house Well, unless you leave the kid alone and you go away. But if you're sitting there in the room with your child, if your kid is upstairs, there have been a few kids snatched from bedrooms, sure. But the majority of kids are lost when they go outside. And I thought, well, the film didn't show me that. The film didn't show me the parents doing stupid things outside. It was all about the house. So I don't know. I'm not saying that makes it bad. I'm just saying I'm intrigued and I don't know. Is it a film about two different bogeymen or is one plot going to be lent into harder than the other? Could be interesting to see. Yeah, interesting point. Because there's a few things going on there. It's the kid's primal fear and the inverse Santa Claus almost. Mm. If you don't go to bed, the bogeyman will get you. that kind of thing the parents would do that maybe they don't necessarily do that now because as you say the terror of loss has been heightened by media coverage of all these kidnappings that have happened that probably are about as commonplace as they always were but enhanced media coverage means that you know more about them than you did before so it's an easy fear to dial into i think it's a guaranteed audience because of that if you're a parent who likes horror movies you're in yeah pretty much so we'll see 
or someone will see you. You won't, apparently. I don't think so. No, I'll ask Laura to go and see it. She can be the brave one. Fair enough. Just be the canary in the mine on that one. Exactly. Moving on to 65, which is Adam Driver, 65 million years ago, fighting dinosaurs. He is a human, but 65 million years ago somehow, he crash lands. So I'm getting a Planet of the Apes vibe. Well, yeah. They crash lands on Earth and there's dinosaurs instead of apes. The question is, is Kylo Ren responsible for wiping out the dinosaurs? That's what's been going around the internet. Oh, well, yeah. It looks pretty cool. I was reading the other day that they had sequences involving herbivores in it, but they removed them because they wanted to stick to the carnivores, which I think is a bit of a strange choice, but it's one they've made. But it looks like it'll be a bit silly fun. It's actually a bit unusual for Adam Driver to do a film like this. He's normally involved in quite heavy prestige stuff. Well, it's good for an actor to do a little bit of everything. If you can say you can be the action hero as well as the drama, as well as the wacky guy, then you have proved that you have got the range to do anything. It keeps your options open. I think it's a clever move for him for that reason. But I'm not sure I want to see it because I've written down it's Planet of the Apes and it's Jurassic Park, and there's an asteroid at the end to wipe out the dinosaurs, and he has to get back to his ship before it, and he probably does. So I've seen it, I think. <laughs> I've seen it. Well, I'm all right, actually. But it could be a bit of fun in the middle of those predictable things. It could. I can't deny that. Yeah, but the trailer did not suggest to me that it would be. Okay. It can't be worse than the most recent Jurassic Park film. Fair enough. Or Jurassic World film. It can't be worse than that. If it is, that's concerning. Moving on to We Have a Ghost, which is a Netflix movie. David Harbour's a ghost. Anthony Mackie's in it. The thing that stood out to me here is the modern spin on it, as in the young guy is not afraid of the ghost at all. It's just an excuse to go viral. Yeah, social media. It seems modern accurate. Would we be afraid of ghosts or would everybody be afraid of ghosts? Probably not. It would be a photo opportunity, as everything is. I think if you meet the ghosts that are effectively the same as the ones from Round the Twist, then no, you would immediately get your phone <laughs> out. I think if it was a ghost from The Boogeyman, then no, by the time you've got your phone out, you've got a Blair Witch Project going on, and that's the best you can hope for. <laughs> so, yeah, good, solid, modern comedy, I think. I actually laughed, and to me that stood out, because some of these things just leave me cold. That was supposed to be funny. Yeah, it probably was. didn't laugh. But yeah, I got a couple of laughs out of that trailer, so... I'm impressed. The trailer suggests there's a mystery to be solved, and it might also be about communication because David Harbour can't talk, at least not at first. So it's about how to express yourself and understand someone else when there's a barrier to that communication. The barrier in case being death. And potentially they could have a delightful metaphor whereby social media actually creates a barrier because for all that you're communicating, arguably you're not actually giving an accurate picture of yourself or your feelings. You're just throwing random chat out there. They could do that. They don't need to, but they could. Everyone knows you, but no one knows who you are. Yeah, absolutely. That's a cheesy tagline for some kind of social media feel-good journey film. Yeah, they could totally go that. That would elevate it to more than just a comedy, happily enough. How many Ghostbusters references do you think will be in this? Well, yeah, fair enough, but I wouldn't recognise them because I've managed to successfully avoid the modern Ghostbusters. Well, all the modern Ghostbusters do is reference the old Ghostbusters, so oh, really? you've yeah, effectively yeah. seen the modern Ghostbusters in that respect. Excellent. But there is a team of Ghostbusters in this film, so I guarantee they will be at least once referred to as Ghostbusters. Well, yeah, there'll be something obligatory, certainly. As long as it's a nice, fun thing and not just plot stealing, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. If it's we couldn't be bothered to come up with our own stuff, then yeah, mm-hmm. waste of time. 
I think the best Ghostbusters reference in a film was in Cathbert. <laughs> They're bringing in people to investigate the haunting in the house that they buy. And I think it's Dan Aykroyd comes out and he says, who are you going to call? Someone else. Right. Fair enough. That's the best Ghostbusters reference I've seen in anything. Moving on, we're in animation, DC animation, Batman, the doom that came to Gotham. Like I talked about earlier, they're focusing on lesser known characters in a lot of the recent films, but here they're back to Batman. But at least it's Batman in an unfamiliar setting and... I tend to like these sorts of things. The voice actor for Batman in this film voiced him in Soul of the Dragon, which was, again, another unconventional-type Batman story. And you've had things like Gotham by Gaslight and Batman Ninja. Those are different takes on the setup. The 1920s setting is a cool surrounding for Batman. It's just before he was created. So it's almost going back to the very beginning, but bringing in some of the more modern traits that he's gathered over the years. The Supernatural edition is interesting as well. I do enjoy when Batman leans into being outlandish when he fights demons and ghosts and things like that sometimes. So I'm really apt for this. I think it will be really cool. I didn't know what to make of it, actually, because I just heard things like burn Gotham to the ground and rebuild it in the way we think it should be. And I thought, well, I have seen that in the films already a couple of times. That's every film, pretty much. Yeah, but I do assume that the original source material did it before the films did, obviously. And I thought potentially then that this was an adaption of some previous comic that came before the films, but I don't even know. You'd have to tell me. Yeah, it's an adaptation of a run. The comic run was a three-issue comics miniseries published from November 2000 to January 2001. So it's prior to Batman Begins. Yeah, but unfortunately that's all I took from it. Oh, I think I've seen this before, but coloured in differently. So it's interesting to get your different perspective on that, in fact. Sometimes just having that different palette feels like a refresh, especially when you're getting things that are very similar to one another, which is the way that Batman is in the current crop of animated films. He's voiced by Jensen Ackles in those films. And he's Batman. He's what you would expect from Batman in those films. Your genius detective and intimidating and whatever. Whereas in this, it at least gives him an opportunity to just throw him in a different scenario and play around with it. So, yeah, I'll definitely watch it. I don't know if I'll get to do any interviews for it. I would love to. I'll need to find out if they'll let me, whoever they are. Let's move on to possibly the start of the new run of DC films. We don't know. We'll talk about it probably more when we talk about James Gunn's announcement. But we have the Shazam Fury of the Gods second trailer. This is one of those trailers that definitely shows you too much. It seems to show you all the major set piece stuff, a lot of plot details. There'll be a lot of familiarity when you end up seeing the final film I think where oh yeah I remember that from the trailer oh yeah there's that bit from the trailer and so on and so on so it's disappointing in that respect but it looks like a lot of cool stuff as well got dragons magic gods Helen Mirren playing a vengeful ancient god looks pretty fun I like the first Shazam film and this looks like it's really stepping it up because one of the major criticisms from the first one was you had the seven deadly sins but the design work on them was really bland whereas in this one you've got a really cool looking dragon and other creatures that Shazam is fighting and all sorts. So yeah, really looking forward to seeing this. I was very impressed by the chair actually because it gave me what you've always described DC as being real heroic work, real optimistic storylines. And on top of that, They've given me a character that's believably a child or a teenager. Actually, not quite sure of his age. I think he's a young teen in this continuity. Technically accurate. He's believably of that age. Everything that you get from the grown-up character matches that 13-year-old that 
you see for the rest of the film and the 13 year olds that you remember being yourself trying to make references from films and tv that he knows trying to live up to what he thinks being an adult is and then obviously struggling with that because he's not the adult and he's even in therapy which makes perfect sense actually (laughs) under the circumstances but it really did feel like somebody who was having a proper coming of age whereby they have to start making adult decisions too early and there are consequences for it and you do hope that he succeeds in the end i think i got from this the sort of feeling of that a hopeful journey to victory of a hero from some of the old superhero stuff. As I say that you say you love, and I think from this I would say, yeah, I also want to see this that we used to get from the 80s films where there's a lot of bad stuff happening, but the good guys win in the end. It really feels like one of those. And don't know that DC do a lot of that at the moment. Interesting to see it for that reason. Yeah, not in a while. They seem to have moved away from the optimism. You had a bit more of a morbid Superman in the Zack Snyder continuity and stuff like that. And Shazam was a pleasant surprise when it first came out because it was that it was wish fulfillment. Yeah. The point is every 13 year old wants to be a superhero and here you've got as a 13 year old that gets to be a superhero. Yeah. And well, it's the monkey's paw wish, isn't it? It's the, it's not quite what you think it'll be because there's the responsibility angle you have to play with. And it seems like that responsibility side of it will come into it because there's a whole, maybe I should give up these powers because it's a lot to deal with. And he's 13, so he's not in a position to be dealing with ancient gods. That's where you bring in Superman, someone that's probably a bit more experienced in speaking to these larger-than-life, super-powerful beings, whereas he's just this kid. But he's the chosen one, literally, and he has to figure out why he's the chosen one or live up to being the chosen one. And I think the best chosen one narratives are the ones where people are called the chosen one, but there's no real prophecy to it as such. It's more just a, a misinterpretation. So it's the idea that in the first film, he's given the powers because the wizard's running out of time and this kid's just stumbled into wherever he is and he'll do. And that's it. And then he uses the power selfishly after that until he ends up finding a bit of purpose. And then I guess he'll regress a bit in this film and then find greater purpose as it progresses. But yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. Well, speaking of dragons... We have another trailer for Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. You were very enamored with the first trailer. What do you think of this second, here's more detail trailer? I'm still on board. I have to face off a certain, I don't even know what to call it. There's something I have to face off for this one, which is the humor, which I did actually get some laughs out of. But it's also the bit that gives me my fear and makes me remember the previous Dungeons & Dragons films. And it's something that Isaac and I will probably go to our graves disagreeing on or having separate views on. It's that idea of, is silly fun? And obviously silly is fun. People do love silly. I don't. That's well documented and well recorded. But it comes to a head here with your Dungeons & Dragons, because if you just make Dungeons & Dragons silly, then it will be dismissed because it's fantasy. And I think fantasy that is silly just can't work. If you do silly in the modern world, then people have still got a connection to it and they can still connect with the characters. They can still understand the plot and it still makes sense to them. So I do understand that I should accept that silly 
is fun. But my argument with fantasy is if you make fantasy silly, then that suspension of disbelief just goes right out the window. Now, that's fine if you just want to create a comedy, because then the whole point is to get as many laughs as possible and you're in it for the joke. But that's not what D&D is. And fantasy generally isn't, I don't think. Or I hope not. It's its own genre, not just comedy. You still have to connect with the people. And it's harder because it's fantasy because there are orcs and dragons and there is magic. So you've got that distance to overcome. Now you get the comedy in this and people are making smart Alec comments and jokes. Now for me, this stayed still just on the right side of silly and it was still just wisecracking and smart ass and so i was still on board and i still enjoyed it and i'm still looking forward to it but there's just this dark part of my brain that says but i hope the entire film isn't that trailer i want that trailer i want that comedy to be in the film even if just because when you're sitting around the table playing role-playing games, you do want to have a laugh. You've come together to have some fun, but not every game that you play is a comedy because part of you is sat down to be the hero, to win at the end, to defeat Vecna, to use that modern reference. You do want to do that. So when you're actually playing in your session finale where you're going up against the big bad guy at the end, the laughter generally stops. Because people want to be the hero and win. And you've hopefully, as the game master, set up a plot that's believable, that has stakes, such that what's sitting in front of you on the table is not just pen and paper and dice. It's characters who have got troubles to be overcome, people that need help. And it means as much to you as the film and the stories that you've been reading and you get to be part of it. So yes, I do want the comedy to be in there. I need that round the table humor. But as I say, I need it to not be the whole film. I assume it's not because it's just the trailer and they want to show you the really happy bits because they want to come and see it. And so I think, yeah, we're still on track here and they're giving us D&D as we need to see it. And we're all still making fun of the bard. And quite frankly, that's what you should do. So let's just embrace that. But yeah, I, I will always have that wee imp on my shoulder, just whispering, going, nah, yeah, you wait, you wait. So we'll see. <laughs> I think that's just the darkness I bring with me. So I'm still hopeful, is what I'm saying. I was actually thinking about you while I was watching this trailer because of the onslaught of gags that you get. Exactly. Well, yeah. It's things like, whatever we do, we have to make sure we don't trigger the mechanism. I just triggered the mechanism. Funnily enough, you brought it up earlier. It's that joke where you know the punchline already. You're just waiting for it. Yeah. Now, see, D&D has that advantage in there is usually some jerk sitting around the table. When you give them a button, they'll push it. <laughs> If you're a smart game master running the game, that's why you put the button there. Because you have to double think that. If you don't want them to push the button, then don't put a freaking button in your scene. Because <laughs> you know there's somebody going to do it. So you put that in because you know it's going to be a gag. And you want the other four players around the table to go, oh, God, he's done it again. You're actually seeking that moment. So the fact that that's in there... Despite the fact that if it had been in another film, I would have gone, oh, God, there's a part of me that's the GM running the game going, yep, you put that there on purpose because that's what you wanted. And I was fully on board at a sort of a meta level, which I know is not the joke, 
but weirdly it's connected enough to how gaming really works that I was able to enjoy it for that other connection. So I think it's interesting that because it shows that if you're not a gamer, you're going to enjoy that joke on face value. If you are a gamer, you're going to be like, yep, that happened around our table just the other night. <laughs> and that's good. So layered is what you're saying. Yeah, and that's good. If they did that on purpose, then fully celebrating. The thing that stands out to me in this in both trailers, actually, is the fact that they are speaking in very contemporary ways, which almost feels at odds with the fantasy setting. And I do still wonder if they're hiding the fact that there's an extra layer of storytelling here where you have characters playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons, and then we see it visualised as it is here, like in the Lego movie, like I said before in previous chats about this. We're seeing the Lego things move and speak and whatever, but then it occasionally cuts to outside of that where it's the kid playing with toys. Mm. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here. And if it is, then they've hidden it very, very well. But that would answer why the dialogue is so contemporary. And it could just be they've decided in this fantasy world, people just talk like they do now. It's fine. Get on with it. I think it still works for me because when you're playing the game, you do usually just use your modern language. In every group I've ever been in, really, you do use it. And despite the connection to Tolkien, very few people try to speak in period language when they're actually playing. But when you have that setting surrounding it, you almost expect it, if that makes sense, if you're seeing the stuff that's associated with it. Well, yeah, I totally agree. It's actually one of the reasons why things like Willow, I think, don't work so well, because they don't have a connection to comedy. So the d is blatantly trying to play on a comic angle, and I think that gives it that range to step out of period language, because as soon as you try and put jokes in, and period humour, you're making fun of the period language because they just sound stupid. Yeah. If Mr. Darcy is pulling as many jokes as your local comedian doing a comedy set, it's just ridiculous. So the use of modern language weirdly enables this because it needs to lean into that humour. So I think they needed to do it. I think that's why Willow doesn't work for the same reason, because Willow is not trying to be a comedy. It's trying to be brutally serious, where weirdly everybody makes a joke every 30 seconds. It just doesn't work. You want the characters to be a bit more almost aware of themselves. Like in the D&D film, all of the characters are taking the piss out of each other just constantly. Everybody is going for each other and making fun of each other. Again, matches the table. So I get what you're saying, but I think it had to be in modern day language for those reasons. I think it suits what they're going for, and it's very clearly a romp that's what they're going for as being what the film is. It needs to be, yeah. The biggest laugh for me was Chris Pine trying to cut the rope on the stairs and saying he needed to find some sharper stairs. Like I say, if you're not making fun of the bard, then you're missing an easy <laughs> That's just the way it's done. It's so unfair. I've played plenty of bards myself, and you hate it when it happens. <laughs> but you know why it happens. It's just too good a history to miss. I find the current iteration of Chris Pine's career to be quite interesting, because sometimes he does stuff like this, and he seems quite young, but then he does something like don't worry darling or something like that and he looks like a man in his 40s or sometimes he looks even older he's a very strange actor in that way he seems to be able to play different eras of himself while he's in his 40s there you go still got a bit of range left in him fair play it's something we were talking about when it came to all the stop starts or just stops of these star trek movies that never get made that may or may not star the 
crew that included Chris Pine and how they used to be about, certainly they rebooted the franchise to make it about the younger days of the USS Enterprise crew. You see them in their prime and now here we are, we've only had three of them and Chris Pine is now in his 40s. It's hardly the prime of the Enterprise crew anymore. You're almost approaching motion picture ages for them. And obviously 40-odd is not as old as it was back then, but still, they're rapidly moving away from the possibility of doing that. Time moves on. Imagine that. One thing we should mention is about D&D, even though it's all resolved now, actually, part of me wondered if the current role-playing game fiasco that's occurring that listeners here don't necessarily need to worry about or potentially don't even care about, but there was a big problem that the owners of Dungeons & Dragons were going through recently, and they completely caved in what was written up as their evil dastardly plan. (laughs) And I think it was because people had started to talk about, well, if they carry on, we've already stopped giving them money. The next thing we're going to have to do is boycott the film. And part of me wondered if one of the reasons they caved so completely was because they were afraid of losing even more. They lost a lot of revenue to people stopping buying things. And I wondered, would they lose revenue to the film as well? And it would just be too damaging. Possibly. We can talk a bit about that saga a bit later on. We have another Dungeons & Dragons news item tease for later. It seems to be the Neil Before Pod catchphrase is, we'll get to it. Yeah, well. And we always do, or usually. Everybody's got a catchphrase now. Yeah. Uh, so that can be yours. It's one of ours. Speaking of catchphrases, Star Trek Picard Season 3 had a new trailer that debuted over some kind of sporting event. And before we talk about the trailer, Aaron, I'm just going to ask you, remember how Star Trek The Next Generation was constant pew-pew explosions, one-liners, while they talked about stopping the universe from ending? Remember that show? Remember how it was that? I think I can remember back through the mists of time to a show before such nonsense but it does feel like an age ago the thing is it was never that well i thought all the bond films that the release of the action films so you mentioned chris pine his was sort of like the action star trek wasn't it they were action geared yes that's a different thing but with this i think this is an awful trailer it doesn't excite me about the season at all because that's all it is is things blowing up and one-liners and all that stuff, which is never what Next Generation was. Next Generation was deliberate and thoughtful. A TV show, yeah, going right back to the old school sci-fi. I was talking about the sliders, you know, the idea of a, let's take a concept and analyse it, absolutely. Yeah, so if you're bringing the Next Generation crew back and you're going to stick them in a by-the-numbers space battle action fest, then why are you doing it? Other than people like these characters. But again, people don't like to see those characters do those things, or certainly I don't. Because it doesn't suit them. No, I have to assume because production told them to, because they said, you tried doing your thoughtful analysis of Picard's history. And I know we've already torn that apart, but let's face it, I think that's what Patrick Stewart was going to. Because you put down in front of any actor, we want you to go into your relationship with your parents or actors on board. You know what I mean? So they tried to do that and it didn't work. Well, critically, I don't think it worked. So the production team said, Okay, well, if you want another series, if you want to go out with the last hurrah, then you've got to do it our way. And let me tell you what the modern way is. And everything you've just described with guns and bombs and explosions is the modern way. Even some of the Star Trek STNG films were a little bit more action-based, just to make them what somebody thought a film should be. Not completely, but you could already see them going more in that direction. Yeah, and one of my earliest thoughts about this trailer, actually, is that it reminds me of the trailer for the 10th film, Nemesis, which is pretty much that. It's an action piece, and lots of people hate it 
for that reason. I don't mind Nemesis, actually, but it is a very, very flawed film. And ultimately, they're bringing back these characters because Nemesis didn't serve as a decent enough send-off for them all. So that's why they're doing this. And cards on the table, I have screeners for the first six episodes of Picard. I have seen two of them. And as of this point, it hasn't quite descended into the loud bang-bang action stuff. But I can see how it could go that way based on what I've seen so far. I'm not going to say too much because if I do, Paramount will have me killed. But that's all I'll say on that one. But I think this trailer is awful because it just doesn't sell what they're doing to me. And I know a lot of trailers are awful. We said earlier, maybe it's just a bad trailer, etc. Maybe this is a bad trailer and we're going to get one episode where, or a couple of episodes where they're in high stakes battling and things like that. But it's not that encouraging. You have Picard saying things like, gun it. He doesn't talk like that. He never did. And it's kind of embarrassing to see. The difficulty is the time has passed. It's almost the very epitome of Batten has already passed to another generation. Star Trek has moved on to an action-oriented, big-screen extravaganza. They might have done different things with Discovery, but let's face it, they were quick to go back to it when they needed to. And you've been telling me about the one with Pike in it, and it is a reading back the old ways. But I still feel like it's massively outnumbered by the guns and the bombs and the explosions. Bringing back is going to be hard. And so if you don't have the support behind you from your production team to say, we can definitely make a buttload of money by bringing you an old school sci-fi thing, you're just going to be told no. Time has moved on. And I don't know that these characters can sell that. I don't know if bringing back Beverly and Geordie is a big enough hit to sway the production team and say, you're right, we should do one where it's mostly set in the engine room. I believe in you. No, they do not believe in you. So I think it was doomed. And it's a shame because when they opened up, and I've said this before, so a broken record, but when they opened up Picard, the first season, the idea that I thought they could have brought this old school back was simply by using his age. Hey, I want to do all this, that, and the other. You're old. We don't think you're any good anymore. We've moved on. And so he is out of the Federation doesn't matter what his wisdom is. doesn't matter what he can bring. It doesn't matter how many Romulans he's saved. They're all just thinking, we're younger and we know better. Bye. And so he has to bring up his own crew on a small ship to go back to basics and solve individual people's problems and show that his values are still important by going completely outside the Federation. And you get all your fun pirates and you get all the people that are on the edges of the galaxy because quite frankly, nobody else will get in a ship with him. That's all he's got left. So you, you get all these characters that you want to bring in, but you've got an excuse to go back to the old way because that's the whole point. He's saying, look, I know I'm 80, but let me just show you, youngsters, there's a reason that this works. There's a reason that I actually survived to be 80 because I did it my way. And they go, oh, yeah, you're right. And they could have done a big whole archaeological arc with him and they could have done Robin Hood with him and all this, that, and the other. I think they missed the boat and now they're on season three and you're not going to see any of that because it already died at the end of season one. As shame as that is, I think it's just too late. Yeah, I think the show has definitely gotten its own way on several occasions. And it also forms part of a wider problem in franchise media with legacy sequels and things like that. Picard, of course, is a legacy sequel. It's something that was commissioned decades later, brings back old faces to mix in and do something new. In theory, we had a lot of stories about aging characters 
recognising that they had to get out of the younger generation's way because their time had passed. It was okay, that's fine. We can stop now because there are people that can pick up the torch from us. In fact, there was a Star Trek movie that was about that. That's what the Undiscovered Country is about. It's about Kirk understanding that my time's done now and that's all right because these things can't last forever. And now you've got Picard coming back and getting in the way of the young people. It's like, no, no, you don't. You young people don't know what you're doing, so you need the old guys to show you how to do it. And, well, it will be a consequence of the society we live in at the moment, isn't it? The fact is we need the experts to tell us what to do. But there's also these messages about we're kind of sick of old people telling us how we should be living our lives in a patronising way. I think this is one of the dangerous things about the current culture because... Oh, I've got to wear this carefully. Because... <laughs> We're cancelling our history completely. We are going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And by that I mean, if you cancel all of history, you will get rid of the good with the bad. Now, there are some things about our history that we don't want to bring back. So we don't want a patriarchal ruling of society anymore. I totally get that. However, there are still old men out there who have solved problems that the young people could still learn from. Oh, yeah, definitely. As simple as just how you get through the tragedy of grief. If you are 12 and you suffer grief, it'll be the first time and you're unlucky to get it. If you are 82, you've seen a lot of people die and that is nothing to do with anything anybody has got problems with on the internet and in society at the moment. So I find that this trailer shows me this massive danger being highlighted we could have had picard saying i know things from the olden days okay you don't want it to be led by an old white man fine bring in beverly crusher bring in geordie you can actually bring in other characters to make sure that you're not being told what to do by the patriarchy you're simply being told what to do by somebody with experience and you don't even have to be told if they do it well it's not being told it's being advised let me tell you what i've learned and they deliver it properly so they could have had this being delivered through picard and these older ways of characters but somebody has said your way didn't work so we're going to do it our way. And our way is the young way with guns and bombs and explosions and youthful, pretty people winning at everything without putting in any effort in at all. We win because we're diverse and we're capable and we're good. You didn't try and get rid of the wisdom. That's not why you cancelled it, Picard season one. Unfortunately, it becomes a perfect metaphor because you cancelled something you didn't like, but what you then replaced it with, where well, you didn't replace it with the good stuff that came as part and parcel, albeit that we could have had, that we didn't have, but it was still there. The character still had that possibility. So it could be a perfect metaphor for that modern development. Yep, we're going with the young stuff and the old people have adopted our ways because they know we're right. Yay, we win. And you've just set fire to experience. And if Picard crashes for that, then the metaphor will unfortunately be potentially a warning. Yep, if you cancel experience, Guess what? Your life will be Picard season three. In <laughs> fact, you lose. And like I say, it could just be that the trailer's front-loading those elements that are actually a smallish part of the season and the majority of the content will be more thoughtful and proper send-off for these well, maybe. classic characters. But I'm just going by the footage that I've seen and I'm trying to push aside what I know from the first two episodes as well to an extent, although there's nothing in those episodes that necessarily contradict this direction. So it could still head in that direction. I might be feeling differently if I'd seen all six, but the way I do it when I get screeners is I watch one, review it, watch another one, review it, and so on. 
so that my reviews are still, I don't know what's happening next week. Yeah. I think that's the best way to do it. You actually see it quite often, and it's something that I've noticed since I've started getting screeners for TV stuff. You see clickbait articles where people predict things, but they do it vaguely enough. But then when you read it, you're like, you've seen this. I can tell you've seen this. And they did it with The Last of Us, actually. There was articles that came out that were talking about, well, maybe the outbreak's because of infected flour. The spores got into flour. And then in an episode, it tells you that's what happened that comes after the first one. When I saw the theory floating about, I was thinking, yeah, you've seen the rest of the season. I know you have. So what you're doing is you're manufacturing content out of the fact that you know stuff, but you're pretending you don't know stuff. And that's an iffy prospect. But in terms of Picard as the elder wise statesman type figure, you've actually got a better example of this in Prodigy where they use Janeway. And eventually the real Janeway turns up. It starts off, she's a holographic training program that's on the ship that's commandeered by the young aliens. So in that respect, she's a mentor that teaches them how to Star Trek. As in, here's how you do an away mission. Here's how to fly a shuttle. Here's whatever. Then later on, the real Janeway comes in. The hollow Janeway is still there, but the real Janeway comes in and she's very much in a support role. She's giving advice. She's giving the benefit of her experience, but it is still their story. And I wonder if doing something like that with Picard would have been more interesting, where he's your secondary figure in someone else's story. Oh, yeah. I think so, yeah. So you could have him training a bunch of cadets or something like that and imparting his wisdom that way. But that's not what we got. No, we didn't. We got this. <laughs> and we'll talk about how the third season shakes out when it's finished. That'll come up again. But let's jump over to the Marvel Universe. We have an animated thing, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. I like the look of this. It's got a really distinctive animation style. It looks like it'd be great for young viewers to get into this wacky premise. I've read comics that those characters appear in, and it's about as silly as it looks in terms of just this little girl with this giant red T-Rex that protects her and they protect each other, really. This looks fun. I think it will be a great addition to the Marvel canon, particularly for young viewers. From the trailer, I'd agree. I thought it was, again, very positive. Very noticeable when you see something that's positive. And it was giving somebody an actual story of becoming your own hero. And it's something that I think is quite rare and that it makes sense of the line, wouldn't it be cool if? Because it would be cool if all of these things happen. And it is that lovely little wish fulfillment. So I agree on Orchard. It's not aimed at me and I'm not going to have any connection to it at all. But if somebody turned around to me and said, oh, this was amazing, I would say, yeah, actually, I think the trailer promises that. So I'm glad that it lives up to it. It does have that childhood coolness to it and it's fun with it. Assume it'll have a few little lessons for the kid in there to learn as well. That's the kind of vibe I got. Might not be full on 80s that way, but it seemed like it was going a little bit that way. So, yeah, it looks good. I like that Marvel do these little asides that aren't part of the MCU. You can just watch them. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be anything other than what it is. And that seems to be exactly what this is. So, yeah, good job, potentially. Haven't seen it, but good job marketing it anyway. Let's move on to the MCU with Ant-Man the Wasp, Quantumania. It is the final trailer. The film is out in, as we record, 18 days. So... We haven't got long to wait. <laughs> yeah, we have got tickets and I booked them for the right day this time. Good move. Excellent move. Unlike the Avatar The Way of Water debacle that I talked about last month, where I thought I booked for Friday. Which years I have not seen. <laughs> yeah. No. Not putting that on anybody's door at all. It's my fault. It is my fault. But you and Chris graciously did not punish me for it. No, that's true. We're still doing podcasts, so we can't be that upset. I got the benefit of the doubt because I've never done it before. 
That is true, to be fair. I did say that at the time, yeah. <laughs> so this trailer, one thing that stood out to me about it, I think we discussed this offline at some point, there is no comedy in this trailer, which is an odd choice when you're marketing an Ant-Man movie because they are distinctly comedies. The first trailer had a bit of comedy in it, but this has none. It has really intense, world-ending stakes, it seems, and lots of quantum stuff. Modoc looks rubbish. <laughs> it's a bit weird, yeah. Is that not quite finished production quality? No, I, th- I think it's about as finished as it's going to get. It just looks rubbish. Apparently, it's the villain from the first one. He's Modoc. Yeah, I saw that. Yellow jacket. Oh. Yeah, but it doesn't look good at all. It doesn't really look like Modoc, and it just doesn't look good in its own right. It seems a big part of the plot is about a deal that he makes with Kang, and then he tries to welch on that deal. So the suggestion is he loses a lot, which probably means he loses his family or his daughter, and makes a deal to get them slash her back that he then wants to get out of. So I'm sensing a reset button in here somewhere, which concerns me. I don't like reset buttons. Could be. I've not read that far into it, actually. I was paying more attention to the first point that I think you said, that there's no comedy in there. I don't think there could be, if I'm honest, because this is the start of Phase 5, and Phase 5 has to set up the meaningful direction that we are going in. Now, it might have had to do that anyway, because that's the nature of being number two in a three-part setup, but it especially had to do it because Phase 4 was such a flop. I don't mean that to be sort of flippant and disregard some of the work that they did do. I do understand that Phase 4 sets up the idea of the multiverse, but when you actually see the way they set it up, none of the stories mean anything. None of the stories have any great personal value. Well, I say none, that's unfair. Some of them are good. I can't say all of them are rubbish. But a considerable amount of Phase 4 was just a bit, let's have fun. There's a couple hours of Hawkeye where you're distinctly saying it's not rubbish. Yeah, exactly. I'm in danger of exaggerating, so I need to pull myself back. Yeah, get away from the hyperbole. Best thing slash worst thing ever. Get away from it. Exactly. Get away from that. So there are some moments in it, but the majority of it is just, let's have a lot of jokes and let's just not take anything seriously, except when we tell you we're taking it seriously. And you need to believe that this is important because we're social commenting. No, you're just parroting some stuff you heard on the internet. None of that was clever. You just wanted to be in with the cool kids who have said what they think is the new order of the day. So no great social commentary there, just taglining and put a few jokes in, bring in the pretty people, and it didn't mean anything. Now, it certainly didn't have to set up a big storyline. I'm not somebody who thinks it should have opened the arc. I think they could happily have set up like a phase one. Here are lots of characters and the multiverse is a thing. That actually would have been a good phase four, but because I think they failed that so heavily and they swamped us with so much material the fact that there's more in phase four than there is in phases one two and three put together is telling so you've drowned us in mediocre stuff that doesn't really do what it should have done except in a few of these bright points as say a hawkeye was definitely a bright point for me which is keep it personal so with that failure it all becomes even more important to make phase five meaningful we've got all our characters we know the multiverse is a thing right phase five why are we here now the question to me then is not why is the ant-man film not funny that's the reason that it has to be not funny because 
of those two requirements, the choice becomes then, I wonder why they chose Ant-Man to lead it, because other characters could have been more serious. The quantum realm is the answer, I think. Yeah, because they've set up already in the previous... Is it Janet Van Dyne? Is that the character? Because they've set that up, they were kind of stuck with it. Now, I did see an interview where they said, ah, now we wanted to spin the character's plots on its head to put the audience on their toes and make them sit up and take notice. And I thought, that sounds like somebody who had to excuse the fact that years ago, somebody put something in motion and you're stuck with it. Now, you didn't (laughs) do that. You're just trying to spin it and sell it as if it was your grand plan. It doesn't bother me, actually. I don't need the third Ant-Man to be hilarious because it comes down to the whole idea of that fantasy Dungeons and Dragons thing was set up for me. I do want things to be funny. I do want to have a good time when I'm watching these things, but I do need it to mean something. And it wouldn't bother me if Ant-Man has one run where it's really serious and sets up the stakes, but then he gets in future films afterwards to be thankful that he saved his daughter, assuming this is the way it goes, and can bring the humor back. It would bother me if he's permanently without jokes, but it doesn't bother me for just one film. And Poor Bugger's got a lot on his shoulders, given that he has to launch Phase 5 pretty much on his own back. It's a good job there's a lot of Ant-Man in there. That's all I'm saying, because <laughs> a lot of ants can carry a lot of weight. Well, the thing is, I don't think the film will be bereft of humour, because you saw it in the first trailer, and they're probably just gearing the trailer around the fact that it's this really serious, high-stakes situation. And that interview you refer to where they say, we've turned the character on his head and put him in a situation that's unfamiliar to him, that in itself can be a really interesting idea. You have Scott Lang dealing with Kang, and Scott Lang, from his perspective, is like, but I'm just a silly Avenger. I'm never a leader. This isn't me. We need Captain America here. I can't do this. And suddenly he has to navigate the problem. Those are great growth points for heroes, aren't they? There's no one else here that usually handles this stuff. There's just me, and I need to figure this out. What would Steve Rogers do, I guess, would be the question he's probably asking himself. So it sounds like he makes a huge mistake in making this deal with Kang, which I really like. So he does this thing that he feels like is his only option at the time and then comes to regret it and has to get out of it. And then the suggestion is that he will sacrifice himself in order to get out of this deal. Yeah, it's good hero stuff. Although we won't because we know that Paul Rudd is in later films, probably. Oh, but he can be brought out of the quantum realm when they need him. He just has to be trapped in here for a bit. Yeah. So that's all compelling in itself. One question I put down, and you talked about how this has to set up Phase 5 and it has to be a bigger deal than other things. And Phase 4, yeah, I do agree there was no real focus to it. You could argue it's about grief because that theme comes up a lot in Phase 4. And I saw it as a bit of a recalibration for all the characters. Everybody that appeared was trying to figure out how to get from where they were before to where they're going to go next. They're in that stumbling block. So in that sense, it sets up what it's trying to do well. I'm not saying it always succeeds. Different projects achieve it to various degrees of success. Some not at all, some really well. And we've talked about every part of Phase 4 across various podcasts. It took years. It took years, yeah. And there's a good chance most of that comes up. So the question I had for us to ponder when we haven't seen the film is, do you think this film will have the impact they're saying it will, or do you think that's just bluster for marketing purposes and we'll come out of it thinking, well, that was a whole load of nothing, wasn't it? Like if this reset button happens, for example, that, well, that was two hours of stuff happening and then it has no real consequence. We've been promised that in phase four with various things about this will change the universe or this is designed to set this up or play with this and then we come out of it thinking doesn't really do that, actually. So, will this? 
do you think? I guess I don't know, because if I try and base it on the evidence I have to hand, phase four, then yes, evidence suggests that this is just going to be a total cock-up. However, if I put phase four aside and think what is possible, and I also maybe allow myself the fact that there were glimmers of hope like Hawkeye, okay, fair enough. In that case, yeah, there are things that somebody could write well and do well and really think about. I am actually hopeful based on those things that Kang will escape at the end of the film. And this will be the letting the genie out of the bottle. We've seen him in Loki. And even though it was a bit of an exposition, I liked what the actor did with Kang as the... He Who Remains. He Who Remains, thank you. You can also give me the name of the actor as well. Jonathan Majors. Jonathan Majors. So I like what Jonathan Majors did with He Who Remains, such that I will take his exposition at face value. You will not like the other forms of me. And so we've seen the other form of him in the trailer, right? Now I don't have to take it at face value. That guy seems hideous. He seems pretty awful. He's prepared to trick people. And he's clearly got the power to do some horrible things with whatever plots he comes up with. So at the moment, I am actually hopeful. Yep, that Kang is going to escape. That genie will get out of the bottle. And phase five will be a lot of people struggling to catch up. And I think they could make phase five the Empire Strikes Back. Now, they can't make it that grim because that's a lot of films to watch where they're all dark and horrid. (laughs) But I think it will set up the idea that you lost at the start of phase five because he got away. Maybe you've hindered him a bit, but he got away. And you're setting up your big failure at the end of phase five. You're going to lose again to this guy and you're going to have to regroup. And that's what phase six is. Now, I don't think they can afford to miss that beat. There's enough in phase four that lets me think they could totally miss that beat. So I'm not saying I'm sure, but there's part of me that goes, yeah, but you can't. You can't miss it. You need that. If you're going to follow even your own formula of the two Avengers films, which for some reason I can't remember the two titles of, good grief, Endgame and... Infinity War. Infinity War. If you're going to set up your own formula of Infinity War goes into Endgame, And if one thing we know that Marvel is good at is knowing their own formula, then surely they have to go Infinity War, Phase 5, you lose. Endgame, Phase 6, you win. So I don't know. I think we're standing on really rocky ground. But even if I say follow the formula, I think Kang is going to escape. And I think it's going to be a bit of a bittersweet ending. I think Ant-Man's going to save his family. But the cost is going to be releasing Kang. And I think that could be a good film. Possibly. I think the fact that we have doubts shows the varying quality of Phase 4 because prior to that, we never really doubted that Marvel would deliver what they were promising. I am on record from Phases 1 through 3. You can pick out some of the podcasts where I say things like, Marvel has earned my trust. I don't quite understand this yet, but I trust them because any time previously in Phases 1, 2 and 3, where I thought, I don't know what that means. With some glaring exceptions. Yeah, fair enough. But generally speaking, when I didn't understand something, it was because it built into something else. And I was like, yep, fair play. Yep, you earned that. I should have been more patient. And I think the majority of, say, one, two, and and three, I'm okay looking back with the fact that I said, I trust you. I gave that up halfway through phase four. I don't trust you anymore. And the only reason I'm staying in with I kind of trust it for phase five, as I say, is because they've got their own formula and I'm trusting that baseline. That's a pretty dark starting point. I trust that you won't screw up your own formula. Quite frankly, everything (laughs) you built on top of that has been naff in phase four. 
but surely you can't fall that low. <laughs> That's a bit horrid, but I don't think they can. I think Phase 5 could launch them right back into success because of that, because we're back in the rhythm. We don't have to introduce characters anymore. We're back into the rhythm of it all goes a bit wrong now and then we'll win in the end. We're building to something again. I stand by. I don't believe Phase 4 needed a theme. I don't believe Phase 4 needed to build. I'm not one of those people that thinks that. I would have been happy with Phase 4 that was full of lots of disconnected films that gave me the concept of a multiverse and introduced, what, seven, eight films first of new characters that I care about. If they didn't have a theme, if they didn't have an overriding principle, I wouldn't care because I've got eight characters that I love and I know a multiverse exists. That's enough. That's all it had to do. But no, it didn't deliver on that for me. And if they were going for a theme, I think that was a waste of time. I think it was a distraction. I don't disagree with you. I think they achieved it to varying degrees of quality. I mentioned Hawkeye a couple of times, which isn't a fair comparison to what this is trying to do because Hawkeye was always a pretty small story that only set out to do what it was setting out to do, and that did it. There's no promises of changing the universe, turning it on its axis. But that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Whereas this is very much the, oh, this is the beginning of something big and whatever. Yeah. And the Kang escapes, and Scott Lang is the only one that can warn the other heroes. It's all right, we need to get back in the gym, guys. We need to figure this out. We need to make up for my mistake here, sorry. Remember how I really helped bring you all back from death? Well, I really need you to give me the benefit of the doubt on this one because I screwed up. This is why I don't do anything important because this is what happens. (laughs) (laughs) But equally, I could see that the film ends with this Kang being killed and then a post credit scene reminding us that there's another one somewhere. Yes. That does sound a bit disappointing when you put it that way. I suppose if they make it clear that in the quantum realm, all of the different multiverses are connected, which listening to YouTube videos, that tells me what the whole point of that is. This is your place, your nexus, where all of them can come in. That's what Endgame's about. They go through the quantum realm into different universes to get Infinity Stones. Uh, Because they do. Fair enough. Then I could understand that even though they defeat this Kang, he somehow opens the door to others that come in. Which Loki kind of was supposed to have done. Yeah. If done well, that wouldn't bother me. I don't like the reset button. It's like there's an extra failure and that's fine. Yeah. It seemed like the point of the end of Loki was, oh, the multiverse is open now. He's broken it. Oh, well, that's what gives rise to the Kang that Ant-Man meets being possible. If Loki hadn't have opened that door, then this film with Ant-Man couldn't exist because that Kang would not have existed. It's that weird thing with the total circular time loop that just destroys you when you're trying to think about it. So hang on, this causes that, but this can only cause that by happening before that, and your brain melts. But if you try and take your head around of that and just say, no, 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 Loki allowed this Kang to exist and don't try and think of the cause and effect. I think it did do that. I think they did set up that Kang completely. What we're now looking at is well, technically, what it also set up, you're right, is 100,000, a million more Kangs. And Ant-Man will be the one to show us that, if your theory is correct. Actually, I would be on board with that too. Well, we'll find out in 18 days at time of recording. Well, fair play. And there'll be a podcast about it, most likely, at some point. But yeah, that's a long discussion on Ant-Man and the Moas Quantumania. The only other note I've got is that the word Ant-Man is in the word Quantumania. I don't know if that's deliberate or not, but it's there. The letters are also actually in the right order as well. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? They're also sequential, so they're just placed with the stuff around them. Frightening. Well done. Whoever did that, you win at titles? No, no, no. Do you want to take that even further? There's exactly two letters before, between, and after the words Ant-Man as well. <laughs> There's also a perfect symmetrical sound. 
But those letters do not make a word in themselves. Wotuia. Yeah, that's not a word. No, that's a place they're going to go to. At some point, somebody's <laughs> going to dimension skip to Quotuia. Yeah, well, there we go. What was that? Where's Aaron? Andrew, what are you doing here? It was Barry, wasn't it? Barry screwed up the timeline again. No, I think that was you that screwed up the timeline again. Okay, yes, it was me. I was experimenting with some obscure quantum physics thing, and I thought it'd be really handy having somebody else to blame if something goes wrong with it, but clearly I've used that excuse one too many times. You've just got this giant machine that you've been playing with, and now suddenly everything's broken. Yeah, well, I have to occupy myself sometimes. The real question is, if you've changed the timeline, then why am I aware of it? Possibly because you are some cosmic level super being with enhanced awareness across multiple realities or could it be that the time travel rules are inconsistent and make no sense when put under any level of scrutiny that is far more likely i think that's what we're going with since you're here we're going to make you fix the timeline eventually but since you're here let's talk about some stuff and in true fashion of the thing that you're here to talk about we'll meander for a while before we finally get to it because you've got to fill time, don't you? That's the way it works. Let's start with Evil Dead Rise. We've got a trailer for it. My initial reaction to this trailer is I have no idea what even the canon of this franchise is anymore. Yeah, well, I think they have now decided it's now just a franchise name, and we should expect not really any degree of continuity between this and any subsequent instalments. And the only thing that'll be linking them will be the Necronomicon or whatever other name they gave it in the last movie, I can't remember, which effectively summons the Deadites and turns people into Deadites. Judging by the trailer anyway, that is the only connection between this movie and the previous one. Yeah, because the 2013 one with Jane Levy in it, that was supposed to be connected to the Raimi films, wasn't it? It was supposed to be in the same universe, they just didn't link in any overt way. Yeah, it was the original idea. An initial idea was that at the end of the film, Mia was going to end up meeting Ash, which would link the two branches of this franchise together and establish it as being in the same continuity. But they eventually decided that it would be far too contrived, really, and it would just end up looking ridiculous. So what you get instead was just a generic horror film? There is a very small throwaway connection in a couple of voice recordings that they hear in the original film. A recording of the professor about the dangers of the book, and also from Cheryl, who is one of the characters in the original Evil Dead movie in the early 80s. But they were more intended as easter eggs for existing diehard fans, rather than providing any real link that standard audiences were going to be expected to pick up on. The people that would be upset that this isn't Evil Dead 4, and you say, oh, it kind of is Evil Dead 4, but really not. Pretty much, yeah. And then we had Ash versus Evil Dead, which I saw a couple episodes of early on, which follows on from the Raimi films. Yeah, that takes place 30-odd years after the end of Army of Darkness, the third original Evil Dead movie. Yeah, and that's been cancelled quite a while ago, probably. Yeah, it was cancelled after the end of its third season. Which was a shame because I absolutely loved it and I would have loved having more of it. Yeah, fair enough. I only saw a couple of episodes. I wasn't enamoured enough to keep going, I suppose. But this one, I'm not that enthusiastic about it. Nothing about it actually stands out as anything. It just seems to be a generic torture porn slash slasher movie. There's no real sense of humour in the trailer. It looks like the trailer for anything else. If you remove the Evil Dead name and remove the chainsaw, it would just be anything. 
you know, there always has to be a chainsaw. I do see where you're coming from with that, because as we just mentioned, now that the franchise has shown itself of any expectation of continuity, then the danger is always going to be that it's going to end up looking like a fairly generic demonic possession horror movie. The makeup of the possessed people is actually fairly consistent, but if you weren't already aware that this was a trailer for an Evil Dead movie, then again, it's not a connection that you might make. No, and you would look at it and think, oh, I've seen this horror trailer before. I've seen a hundred of these. Stressed single mother coming under demonic forces and becoming a danger to her children, and so estranged family member must save them all somehow. As setups go, it's not incredibly distinctive. No. Though, that said, even though the premise of it does look fairly generic, I think the actual content looked quite engaging. They certainly didn't seem to be shying away from the brutality of it, especially in the Red Band trailer for it. Yeah, that was the one I watched. Things like shards of glass being swallowed and you'd seen them building out their throat, or a cheese grater being slammed against an exposed patch of skin, and being able to be pretty sure what's about to happen. It's all quite compellingly nasty, and if it's able to balance that kind of gore with hopefully a half-decent story, then I think it certainly has the potential to be an interesting film. Although how it will actually stand up as an Evil Dead film is another matter, and something that's a bit harder to predict from two and a half minutes of disjointed scenes. Yeah, so what it's probably coasting by on at the moment is the gore that's in the trailer and the fact that it's got the Evil Dead name on it, which will get people in. Otherwise, if people who like Evil Dead otherwise looked at this trailer and you stripped away the logo, they might just think, oh, I've seen this. Uh, and for me personally, I might find myself wondering, literally, have I seen this? <laughs> Did I see this at three in the morning in some all-night horror thing at the film house when it still existed? Oh, don't. That's a deep-cut Edinburgh reference for our listeners. Mm-hmm. We won't get into it. It's a whole thing. Also, there's a reference to The Shining in the trailer, with the blood spilling out of a door. Indeed, yes. Which was fun. Yeah, that's a reference, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know much to say about it. So, based on this, I'm not hugely excited about this. Will I see it? I don't know. We'll see. I think overall I'm a bit more optimistic than you certainly sound about it. Though I am cautiously optimistic is I think the best that I can muster right now. It's been ten years since the last Evil Dead film. Yeah. And it wasn't really an Evil Dead film. Well it was, but it wasn't. If you know what I mean. Like you say, the connections are tenuous at best. Part of the issue, well not issue with Evil Dead as a franchise, but part of what makes it distinctive is that as a saga it is synonymous with Ash and Bruce Campbell, and so to remove those aspects from it is to take away a great deal of why people are excited about them and why people keep revisiting them. There was certainly no intention in the beginning to develop it in such a manner. It was more just an unlikely happenstance that people connected with Ash's general gormlessness as a hero and the charisma and screen presence that Bruce Campbell has. And without them, the name Evil Dead is really just a franchise placeholder, which kind of brings us full circle back to what we were originally talking about. So, we'll see. There's not an awful lot to say about that, really, I don't think. I know it's the director, he's directed one feature and shorts and TV episodes and stuff. Yeah, and actually his first film, The Hole in the Ground, was actually quite good. In a sort of roundabout way, this does have similar themes of family being affected by supernatural forces and people attempting to save their loved ones from it. Whereas in his first movie, it was a kid who was under the effects rather than an adult, so this is kind of an inversion of what his first film was doing. And then maybe Bruce Campbell will show up in the last five minutes to have some kind of chainsaw sword fight? It would be nice to think so, but... No. <laughs> 
because for quite a while now, Bruce Campbell has stated that he has officially retired from playing Ash. He's done with the character. Yeah, right. Every man has his price. Yeah. Also, one other thing I just wanted to mention is, again, how utterly sick I am of the trailer convention of establishing a sinister atmosphere by playing a down-tempo, melancholic cover of a famous song over its events. Yeah, it's a disturbing trend that isn't going anywhere. No, and it's just frustrating because it's all the same, really. It doesn't matter which song you actually use, because it's still going for the same effect. Yeah, if you try to do a melancholy cover of it, then all it really does is unsettle people. You're going to be able to do that with any song, more or less. Exactly. Unless it's already melancholy. In which case you can't make it more melancholy. Maybe trailers should do the opposite. They should do an up-tempo, upbeat cover of a melancholy song for trailers. Try that, Hollywood, if you're listening. All of Hollywood. Or trailer editors. Whoever does these things, whoever decides these things. Give it a go. Could be fun. Yeah, because then you might end up with something like that scene from Kick-Ass, where Hit-Girl is slaughtering anonymous henchmen to the theme from the Banana Splits show. Yeah, definitely. Let's do more of that. Right, let's move on to the CW, which is initially why we set up this chat. So we've had some brief looks at stuff. Let's just start with the quick look we got at Superman and Lois and Gotham Knights. Superman and Lois gets its own trailer, but it also gets a trailer that it shares with Gotham Knights, which might tell you a lot about the CW's confidence in this show that they've made. (laughs) That is, let's face it, probably already cancelled. They just haven't announced it yet. It's in this weird limbo of, we're not really making superhero TV on the CW anymore because we sold it to some reality TV-loving streamer or reality TV-loving network. We've already paid for this, and we have to use it, but it's gone after this. You see people ziplining. There's some guy with a Batman cowl and a suit lying dead in the street, which might be the real Batman. Might not be. Yes. Honestly, I think by this point, the whole Batman without Batman premise is almost as tediously played out as what if Superman was evil. (laughs) Even if it wasn't... That everything about Gotham Knights is instilling in me extreme indifference. I'm not excited at all about watching it, but at the same time, I'm not disgusted by the concept of its existence. I just genuinely and wholeheartedly do not care about it. I'm curious to see what it's actually going to be like. I feel like it might be one of those where I watch 20 minutes of the pilot and think, that's enough. <laughs> Sometimes you get that. You get 20 minutes into a TV show and you think, I have seen enough. I have seen everything this show has to offer and will not watch any more of it. And this could be that show. But maybe we're damning it unnecessarily. Maybe it's the best thing they've ever done. I doubt it, but maybe it is. You can never be sure until you watch these things. You can be fairly certain, but you can't ever be 100% positive. <laughs> We've got until March to wait, though. That's wild. It's 14th of March. A couple of months before this appeared. But not an awful lot to say there. Superman and Lois, there's a bit more. The first question I have is, which bait-and-switch villain do you think we're getting this season? (laughs) Going to start off looking like, I don't know, Mongol, and it'll end up being Mitchus Pitalik. If I'd had to make a prediction last season, I certainly wouldn't have gone with Doomsday is actually Bizarro. (laughs) Lex Luthor is actually Steel. 
was the first one. Yeah. Which is, I suppose, not a big a stretch. And it worked there. Well, it worked a second time as well, but it worked better in season one because you weren't really used to it. I remember when I was watching season two, I didn't guess that it was Bizarro, but I was pretty certain that it wasn't going to be Doomsday because it was being so heavily teased that it was. I fell for it, actually. I remember putting in a review that I felt like Doomsday was a bad choice for this show because mm-hmm. it is so rooted in family connection and everything, and you can't do that with Doomsday. Or, at least traditionally, you can't do that with Doomsday. I know Smallville tried and kind of managed it because Sam Witwer's really good, but they lost their way by the end. It was just a mess by the end. And to be fair, Superman and Lois screwed up Bizarro by the end as well. They got rid of him far too quickly, and that was a disappointment. Yeah, because he wasn't really Bizarro the villain. He was really just an extension of the multiversal concept that is the true danger of this season. Yeah. And in fairness, Bizarro has become more of a inverse of Superman rather than a villain in the comics over time, so that makes sense to go down that route, make him more sympathetic rather than he's just Superman, but a bit weird. Yeah, talks backwards and occasionally uses the opposite words of various adjectives and verbs, which I always hated so much, because just reading it, it was so arbitrary and just sounded so stupid. And the logic of it never really made sense either, because you would look at it and you'd think, that isn't the opposite of what Superman would say. That isn't an opposite. <laughs> You've just mixed it up slightly. Exactly. You're just using different words. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm just going to go off on one if I keep on with this. <laughs> I will say, though, I did have a lot of fun playing with reversing audio for the podcast. <laughs> so thanks for giving me that, if nothing else. I really like this trailer, actually. So Lois thinks she might be pregnant, which since they're showing us it now, probably means that she isn't. She also goes missing, and it looks like Clark makes a choice that means he leaves her behind and is responsible for her being missing or possibly dead, but she definitely won't be dead because the show is called Superman and Lois. So killing off half your title in the third season would be a bold choice, but I don't think they'll do it. Also conceptually ill-advised. Yeah. But I do love the idea of Clark having to choose between saving Lois and saving loads of people in that really tough decision that heroes have to deal with. Because the very idea of Superman and Lois is that it's built around their family life rather than Superman's heroics specifically. And I think it generally has been that it's most engaging when everything that Clark does to protect people ends up affecting Lois and their sons. Because the way that Superman is often portrayed nowadays, that isn't a side of the character that you often see. So in a way, it is actually kind of refreshing. Yeah, and then when James Gunn writes his Superman movie, we're definitely not going to see that for a while, at least because we're going right back to the early days. I do really like James Gunn as a filmmaker, both as a writer and a director. Though I also suspect he has been given a certain mandate of what to do with the DC characters. Maybe, yeah. And I suspect that is a direction that it's going to get taken in. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's a total tangent to what we're talking about. But in the case of this, the concept of Superman having to choose between his family and more anonymous people and making that choice that favours essentially the most people, which is what it looks like here, that's fascinating because it really tests his commitment to his mission. Exactly, because whatever choice he makes he is effectively going to be betraying one of his core ideals, which is not any kind of decision that would sit lightly with him. No, and you see the Daily Planet blow up and the globe about to crush Lois, so that'll be a good effect shot that'll last about 10 seconds. At the very most. We jest. We know the 
budget limitations on making a Superman show on a weekly budget. Especially from a network that no longer cares about it. Yeah, and we get a quick look at New Jonathan. We did, yes. Didn't look that out of place, I thought. I don't know. When you had that family photo at the start of the trailer, I was like, who's that? It is always jarring when a role gets recast, especially when it's one of the central ones. But I don't think it was quite as out of place as it could have been. We'll see. We'll see how he fares, but he's got an uphill struggle to succeed the other one. Yes, definitely. But looks cool. It's a couple of months away, so I imagine we'll get another trailer at the very least sometime next month to chew on. But interested, it's probably going to be the final season. I would be very surprised if it isn't. Yeah. So this is the end of our TV DC journey coming up, I guess. And what better way to herald the end than talking about the trailer for the final season of The Flash. This is one of those final seasons where the characters know it's the final season. (laughs) I talked last month, I think, about how there's two, well, three types of final seasons, really. There is a final season where they get cancelled and don't know that it's ending. Then there's a final season where it's a final season, but they're just behaving normally. And then things start ramping up and changing towards the end. And there is this final season where they're talking about it being, this is the last time we'll do stuff. (laughs) But how would you possibly know that? Because they don't know their characters in a TV show. Yeah, and now that the world is coming to an end. Well, maybe it is. Actually, yeah, I heard it as soon as the words were out of my mouth. They should have been behaving like Crisis was their final season. Yes. But it wasn't. (laughs) We've had more since then. So for some reason, they know this is their last run. They know that things are coming to an end, but we don't know how. Although the suggestion is maybe Barry having this book that tells him the future might be the reason for that. And the only note I put there in terms of that is Barry has learned absolutely nothing. He has a book that tells him the future and doesn't see a problem with this, despite countless evidence. Yeah, because it's not like him actively mucking around with the past and the future has ever caused any problems previously. No, it's just the cause of pretty much all of their problems. And even though he knows exactly when and how things will happen, he'll somehow manage to run in just that little bit too late. Because it wouldn't be nearly as dramatic otherwise, would it? (laughs) Barry, you knew the exact second this was going to happen. Why weren't you there ten seconds before and resolving it? Because you're an idiot. That's why. There's a big dramatic reveal, I suppose, that this new speedster villain is building a time machine. That's just normal, isn't it? It's not a big deal. They deal with it all the time. Yes, but this is a speedster villain building a time machine in the final season. Also, why does a speedster villain need to build a time machine? Yeah, I did wonder that, and the only thing I can think of is this particular speedster isn't able to time travel, but decided that they want to, the best I could come up with. In which case, that's no problem, because they're stuck in the future, and they're not fast enough to deal with Barry. Yeah, I know. No threat there, really. (laughs) We don't know the context of any of this, but I'd be almost willing to put money on the fact that they won't explain any of this, because they never do. Well, again, because that's too much effort, isn't it? Yep. That would be... Good writing. Or, if we go by the Warp Zone's interpretation of the Flash writer's room, it explains everything. (laughs) Yeah. Link in the show notes. Basically, in that video, the Flash writer's room try and make the worst season possible so that they get fired and could go and do something else. And they keep getting renewed. It makes as much sense as anything else. It makes more sense than most things. There's that. There's a lot of running around. There's a new speedster villain, which is supposed to be Cobalt Blue, whoever that is. I have no idea. Not a character I'm familiar with. But I'd imagine it won't matter. It'll just be another generic speedster villain. Can't be worse than Godspeed, or can it? 
I can try. Reverse Flash will probably be back. He'll be behind it all anyway. Of course. Cobalt Blue will peel his face off and he'll be Reverse Flash. Shocker, because he was totally erased from existence the last time forever, but now he's back again because reasons. Because who cares? You're not expecting it to be consistent anymore. Who cares? Not for years. There's also a suggestion in the trailer that the team are going to turn against Barry because he's going too far, which means they definitely won't. Because there is never any internal conflict that lasts more than a minute or two. Yeah, because they always quickly realise that Team Flash must come together with the power of friendship and, and defeat the greater evil that is threatening everyone so their personal conflicts must be put aside for the greater good, etc, etc. And let this blithering idiot continue to lead them, despite the fact that he is possibly the worst candidate. Christy, even Iris for a while ended up being a better lead than he did. Slightly. Let's not get carried away here. Admittedly, it's a very low bar. (laughs) Well, that's about it for that trailer. But we do have some extra bits. We have some interesting returning people. And I'll save the best for last. Among the returning characters, Bloodwork. Because everybody wants to see him again. Yeah, remember him? He was the totally forgettable placeholder villain. He was dumped in for the half dozen episodes before Crisis. So they would have something to do before the multiverse was threatened. And then came back later on for no reason. Was there really nobody better they could think of? I guess actor availability dictates it. Yeah, that's true. So he's back. Pied Piper's coming back. Again, I couldn't care less. Yeah, though, I did find him one of the more vaguely interesting one-shot villains. But, again, low bar. Yeah, remember when Barry first changed the timeline and he was their best pal, and then he just was never seen again. says, I'm not going to be here anymore for some reason, even though the timeline's changed. And then he comes back and Barry killed his partner or something by accident, something like that. Yeah, I can't remember. We have Javisha Leslie returning as Ryan Wilder's Batwoman, but Red Death. Whether that's an alternate universe, alternate timeline situation, we don't know. But Red Death is essentially in the comics Batman, but with super speed and evil, as I understand it. That's pretty much my take on it, yeah. Yeah, so the Flash TV show is doing Batwoman, but with super speed and evil. (laughs) Will it be the one we know? I guess it would have to be, unless they reopen the multiverse, which they probably will. Do they ever actually figure out that the multiverse actually does still exist? I don't think so. I don't recall it happening, but a lot of it's been forgettable, so I wasn't entirely certain that it just slipped my mind. They say a lot, and then they contradict a lot. But I don't think they've ever formally said, it's still out there, we just can't get access to it. Hmm. But we'll see Red Death, it'll be a one or two episode speedster villain. It'll probably be a bit like Robbie Amell's return last season. Yeah. They're doing a lot in these 13 episodes. It seems a lot, but also probably not a lot. But we're getting Wally back. He's coming back. Yay! Where's Wally? There he is. There's even a photograph. <laughs> I actually put on the Neil Before blog Twitter account the hashtag Where's Wally. And it's, yeah, it's the easiest Where's Wally puzzle you could ever find. Just right there. He's not even trying anymore. But he's coming back, which is good for the final season. And we're getting Diggle back because he won't miss out on an easy paycheck. David Ramsey. And his alternate version will probably be in Superman and Lois. More than likely. The alternate one, it's exactly the same. Mm. But with slightly more unkempt hair. Yeah, so that's fine. And a big return that I actually genuinely didn't expect is Stephen Amell is back as Oliver Queen. Yes. Which is awesome. A choice? They're ending the Arrowverse and they're bringing Green Arrow back. I think that's a good decision. To be honest, I'm kind of 
Torn, really. Oh, they'll mess it up. More likely, yeah. With this being the Hourverse coming to an end, then it would be a bit of a dis- disservice to everything that's happened over the last decade to not include the man that it all started with. But on the other hand, Oliver already had his ending. Not just from dying twice during Crisis, but also with him and Felicity going off to live in this afterlife paradise together. And so for him to reappear after that, I don't think it would spoil that ending, but it would be... A kind of jarring coda to it that doesn't quite fit. My guess is they're going to do what they did with Snart when they brought him back for his final Flash appearance where Barry just goes to get about some random point in the timeline. I did guess that where time travel was going to be involved. The costume I think he's wearing in the photo is his season 8 costume, I think. Possibly. I didn't actually scrutinise it that closely. They all look pretty similar, to be fair. The only one that I find really that distinctive is the season one one because it has that charmingly homemade look about it. And also the grease paint instead of the mask. Yeah, we got the mask in season two. And then season three was the same one. Season four, you had the weird sleeveless one. Mm, Season five was then the sleeved one and so on. They did different ones. That's my guess, that they'll pluck him out of the timeline sometime before he died. We wouldn't go against his ending and would allow him to reappear without any real consequences. Yeah, and if the picture's to be believed, him, Diggle, Barry and Wally will be in the same episode. That could be fun. It could be fun if that is actually going to happen. Yeah, it might just be a set photo where they were all there at the same time doing different things. Precisely, because uh, as we're talking about off mic, there's only so many viable streets in Vancouver that they can film on. Yeah. Other returning people, well, one other returning person, which we talked about last month, is Dreamer. Nianal, she's going to be appearing at some point. Yeah, which I was actually quite glad about because I really like her as a character. According to the showrunner, it's the team-up you've all been waiting for. Nia and Iris, because yes, that's what I've been waiting for. Because they're both... Women? Both journalists? Both secondary confidence to the principal hero of their respective series. The showrunner seems pretty excited about this team-up, so sure, I guess. So let's just go with that then, yeah. We are missing out on Kara so far and a legend, unless you count Wally as a legend. Which, generally speaking, I do not. He's been in more Flash than he has Legends. Especially if you include his season two introduction, where he was just Wally and had no powers. It would be nice to have some appearance by Legend because it didn't get an ending and certainly don't count the 20-second video chat with Ray when he was talking about the the retirement party. Uh, I was having drinks with Nate and he told me about Thon. Oh, God, that's just... (sighs) That was funny. I just can't. (laughs) I loved Legends so much and its cancellation was like a personal affront to me. Come on, James Gunn, bring it back. Yeah. Hopefully Sarah or someone will turn up and as I said, Cara, I'd love to see a Cara and Barry team up one last time before this all closes off. Yeah, because that was always fun when they were together. I don't think we're going to get it though, but we'll see. I don't know. How am I feeling about the final season? The same as I feel about every season, to be honest. Except this time I'm kind of glad because after this season there's no more. It's all done. <laughs> yes, and after the podcast we won't need to talk about it anymore. Yeah, we'll just go and set fire to... Something, as is the custom, setting fire to a flash hoodie or something. Yeah, just very cheap Viking funeral. Yeah, I think that's about it for the final season stuff that we know so far. So we know there's some people coming in and out, a few guests, a few surprises maybe. I don't think they've told us everything that's happening. I do think they'll manage to pull some decent surprises out of the bag. Tom Cavanaugh will be there in some capacity. You can almost guarantee that. Yeah, well, because he can't not be. Even if it's just timeless wells. The worst wells. 
<laughs> no, is he the worst Wells? Well, the worst regular Wells, I think. But different Wells has been so variable, it's sometimes a bit hard to keep track of them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Final season. We'll see what happens. It's out on February 8th, so it's not too far away. I will be waiting with bated indifference. 13 more reviews, one more podcast, and then, I don't know, what am I going to watch after that? It's an existential crisis. Might have to actually watch stuff I like. <laughs> Heaven forbid. Have to see it through, though. We've been there since the beginning. Exactly. That was how I often felt about some of the latter seasons of Supernatural. <laughs> I've come this far. I am not giving up now. Yeah. And then the Winchesters, which is quite good, actually. quite like it. Okay. I've not actually given it a try yet. Tom Welling's in it as Mary's dad. Interesting. He's introduced using some kind of crystal to stop a demon thing. So I think Tom Welling has the monopoly on using magic crystals to solve problems. Because <laughs> that's basically all he did in Smallville. He'd be like, Jorel, there's a villain of some sort. He's like, take this crystal. This will solve it. Maybe one day you'll actually have to do something as Superman, but until then, crystals. We have crystals for everything. And if I don't have one, ask Martian Manhunter. He probably has one. And if he doesn't have one, well, then Phantom Zone, which is a different crystal. Crystals everywhere. Anyway, that's a complete tangent. But Tom Welling does seem to do that. He seems to have artifacts that just do his job for him. Pretty much, yeah. Over the years, it kind of just became his thing. (laughs) It really did. But anyway, are we going to flip the switch on this machine and see if we can get Aaron back? Because he was here before you were. Yeah, well, I'll certainly see what I can do. I'll have the tinkers to see if I can replace some fried circuits, get this thing working again, and hopefully restore reality to its proper place. I hope we're not going to be in some kind of Andrew Point situation. If we are, then you can be assured that I will take absolutely no responsibility for it whatsoever and will not learn from the experience even for a moment. And then we'll just hang about for a bit until everyone forgets about it, and then it's just the norm. Perfect. That's the way it goes. Anyway, until the Flash Season 9 podcast. Can't wait. Aaron, you're back. Andrew fixed the timeline. You vanished for a few moments there. He broke the timeline and replaced you with him somehow. All too common a thing these days. It's not disturbing at all. I mean, once you've been blipped by Thanos and you've had a multiverse change on you and you just come in and out of existence like it's just Tuesday, you just go with it. Definitely. So let's hope that the timeline hasn't changed too much. We'll see if any changes rear their head. Was the majority of Phase 4 good? Well, I enjoyed the majority of Phase 4. Oh my God, the universe has completely changed. Ah! What did I not before? But if you say that, you kind of ruin my joke. <laughs> yeah, I know. But still. Okay, we're out of trailers now. We can talk about other stuff. And this one is hot off the presses. It actually dropped about half an hour before we started recording. So props to James Gunn for actually giving us news before we record a podcast instead of just after it like Marvel did those times. So James Gunn has given us the rundown of the first part of his first phase of... DC properties. Chapter one, God and Monsters is what he's decided to call it. So it's not phases for DC, it's chapters, which fits the theme of DC and Marvel being the same thing with different headings. Is that God with a capital G, not God's plural? God with a capital G. Interesting. And Monsters with a capital M. So we're just going to run through what he's announced. What he said is, one of our strategies is to take our diamond characters, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and use them to prop up other characters that people don't know which, as you hinted at earlier, is what the animated films are doing to some degree. And to build those lesser-known properties into the diamond properties of tomorrow, we'll see if they can achieve that. Certainly Marvel did with some of their lesser-known 
characters. The mantra of if you make something good, then people will want to see it seems to persist. Plans may shift, it is made clear. The first thing that's coming out is Creature Commandos, an animated seven-episode series written by Gunn that is already in production. Originally a team of classic monsters assembled to fight Nazis. This is a modern take on the concept. The voice actors have yet to be cast, but the executives are looking to find people who could voice the animated characters and also portray the live-action versions when the anti-heroes show up in movies and shows. But they've written another Suicide Squad. It's a variation therein, I suppose, yeah. So it seems what they're trying to do with this new runners, animation, TV and film are all connected, which is an interesting prospect. I imagine some of the voice actors will be really upset by this, as in people who just work full time as voice actors, because they might not necessarily be the image of what this character would be in live action, but they can definitely do the voice, which you get quite often. But I guess they don't seem to care about that. But the whole point is everything's going to be connected. So it is going to be a proper universe. We speculated on is it going to be dipping in and out? Is it going to be different properties connected to nothing but themselves and whatever? No, this is a ongoing story. And the first chapter is God and Monsters, which is the first chapter of an ongoing story that will have several chapters. The other one is Waller, a spin-off of Gunn's own HBO Max series, Peacemaker. Viola Davis will return as a ruthless and morally ambiguous head of a government task force. It's been written by Crystal Henry, who did Watchmen, and Jeremy Carver, the creator of Doom Patrol. Amanda Waller, that character, she's alright, I suppose. She's good in The Suicide Squad, and she appears in Peacemaker as well. And it's something I'll talk about in a bit, but it does suggest that some of the previous DC canon will be sticking around. Well, we know that from two of the actors, I think, already, but yeah, carry on. The next thing is Superman Legacy, the movie featuring Superman that Gunn is writing and may direct, although no commitments on that end have been made. Superman is the true kickoff for the duo's DCU plans. It's not an origin story. It focuses on Superman balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. He is the embodiment of truth, justice in the American way. He is kindness in a world that thinks that kindness is old-fashioned. A release date of July 11th, 2025 has been penciled in. So that's a really long way of saying we're making a Superman movie. But they are trying to say that they're leaning away from a darker universe, I guess. At least for him. That's true, actually. Waller's not going to be in a nice universe. Well, we know that these things can coexist and the fun is in the contrasts. So you have Superman being this beacon of hope and people around him aren't on that page. Lanterns is a TV series. The Green Lantern TV series that's been in development for ages has been scrapped and this is taking its place. It's a new take on the space ops with power rings. Our vision for this is very much in the vein of True Detective. It's terrestrial based. It will feature prominent lantern heroes Hal Jordan and John Stewart and is one of the most important shows they have in development. This plays a really big role in leading into the main story we're telling across film and TV. That's an interesting... Without knowing much about it, it sounds like a cheaper way to do Green Lantern. It's... A buddy cop thing almost on earth with power rings yeah okay weird the authority a movie based on a team of superheroes with rather extreme methods of protecting the planet first originated in the late 90s under an influential imprint known as Wildstorm, run by artist now head of dc publishing jim lee one of the things of the dcu is it's not just a story of heroes and villains said gun not every film and tv show is going to be about good guy versus bad guy giant things from the sky comes and good guys win there are white hats black hats and gray hats they're kind of like jack nicholson a few good men they know that you want them on the wall or at least they believe that one thing that's standing out to me from certainly doing things like the authority and creature commandos is that He's thrown in a few surprises there in terms of what you would expect him to adapt early on. So far, the majority of what we're seeing here is, as he says, not the diamond lot at all. Most of this is going to be people that you don't know. Yeah. The next thing is Paradise Lost, the HBO Max series as a Game of Thrones-style drama set on Themyscira, Wonder Woman's 
first place filled with political intrigue and scheming between power players. It takes place before the events of the Wonder Woman films. So... That suggests that the Wonder Woman films are still canon. Maybe it does, but that's not the first thing that came to my mind. There's quite a lot of the idea that we we said that you can have different genres across your universe. And it seems like that is being lent into heavily here, which is a good thing. However, one of the genres I was not expecting was to see, frankly, Wonder Woman killing people whilst naked and there being lots of sex and death everywhere. So did he really mean Game of Thrones when he said that? I don't think he did. He doesn't mean that. Maybe it means it in terms of the fantasy political side of it. Yeah, that's a weird one. Because I know you have to give it the biggest name you can think to draw the biggest audience. I totally understand that. But when people think of Game of Thrones, they think of two things. Everyone dies, but before they die, they all have sex with each other. That's it. (laughs) If you ask people to summarize it, that's what... Oh, no, sorry. Dragons. Sorry, there are three things to it. I don't think he means that at all. I think he means what you mean, but bro, that's where my mind went. That'd be a genre buster for certain. (laughs) You weren't expecting Wonder Woman to do this. No, I wasn't. So it takes place before the events of the Wonder Woman films, which suggests that she won't be in it. Or she's in it, she'll be a child, I guess. And the other suggestion, like I said, is that the Wonder Woman films are still canon, which is something we'll come on to in a bit anyway, talking about the way that they've described certain things. The next one is The Brave and the Bold, which is introduction of the DCU Batman. Also introduces his favourite Robin, Damian Wayne. Andrew will be furious at this. He hates Damian Wayne. He will tell anyone that will listen. I don't know that. Which ones? Were there three Robins or were there more than that? I think there's more than that, but Damian Wayne is Bruce Wayne's son with Talia Algul. Oh, okay. So he's raised by the League of Assassins, and then he comes to Gotham, and he's a standoffish abrasive Robin. Okay. So they're bringing him in. Introduces our favourite Robin, Damian Wayne, who is a little son of a bitch. That's a quote. (laughs) The movie will take inspiration from the now classic Batman run by Grant Morrison. It's no stretch to say that they're adapting Grant Morrison. That introduced Batman to a son that he never knew existed, a murderous tween raised by assassins. It's a very strange father and son story. So the Batman we're getting is one that's been going on for a bit. Right, okay. Which was something that appealed to you about Ben Affleck's Batman, wasn't it? That's true. It was, actually. And importantly, it will feature a Batman not played by Robert Pattinson. But he's not being cancelled, is he? No, the next item is the Batman sequel. Pattinson will continue to portray the Dark Knight in at least one more crime saga movie directed by Matt Reeves. That movie will be called The Batman Part 2 and it will be released on October 3rd, 2025. James Gunn said that things like The Batman and Joker and some other stuff will come under the banner of Elseworlds. So anything that's not in the DCU, as they're calling it, their connected story, they'll still make them and they'll call them Elseworlds, which again is in the comics. And that's a suggestion I had a few times as we've been talking about the growth of this thing. So yeah, you'll be able to watch your unconnected Batman stories and other things. That's a big move, actually, because one of the things that stopped them doing that before was everybody was saying, everybody will get confused. Oh, they've gone back and forth on that. They were talking about how, no, no, audiences are smart, they can now understand it, and then they backpedaled, and then they repedaled and backpedaled. But hopefully this one will stick, and they will give the audience some credit. Booster Gold, an HBO Max series based on a unique and lower-tiered hero created in 86, is about a loser from the future who uses basic future technology to come back to today and pretend to be a superhero. Gunn described it as imposter syndrome as superhero. He also appeared in live action in Smallville and in Legends of Tomorrow. So not the first adaptation, but probably the first mainstream well-known adaptation. And the Blue Beetle film that's coming out, there's a possibility to connect those two as well because they're characters that were pretty well linked in the comics. Again, not what I would expect in the first chapter. 
No, but this chapter lasts 10 years, doesn't it? So they can put all the stuff that he's put to the front of the article to say, look, it's going to be weird and strange. Doesn't mean they're going to be in the first film. He could open with Superman and Green Lantern and Batman. Yeah, absolutely. The next one is Supergirl Women of Tomorrow. Taking its cues from the recent Tom King written miniseries, the movie project promises to have a different take than what most think of when the idea of Superman's cousin comes to mind. We will see the difference between Superman, who was sent to Earth and raised by loving parents from the time he was an infant, versus Supergirl, raised on a rock, a chip off of Krypton, who watched everyone around her die and be killed in terrible ways for the first 14 years of her life, and then come to Earth. She's much more hardcore and not the Supergirl we're used to. And Isaac commented about this one. Let me find it. Because he said he hoped it was based on this run, and I was like, it is. And he says, oh, I haven't read the article yet. And then he explained, it's basically John Wick. A magical gang of mercenaries shoot crypto with an enchanted bow, so Supergirl goes from planet to planet, effing them up. Yeah. Which may not be, but the spirit of it certainly may be the thing. How is that connected to Woman of Tomorrow? It feels like the Wonder Woman thing where the child says to Wonder Woman, can I be like you and murder all the people in this bank when I get older? Can I splatter someone's brains on the wall when I get older? Yeah, sure. I imagine you could. But the Woman of Tomorrow could be a sort of inverted commas, Woman of Tomorrow. I mean, could. This is what you don't want. Or she has to overcome that and become the woman of tomorrow. But it's an interesting take anyway, by the sounds of things. It's certainly different to what we've had before. The one thing that he's definitely done is say, I'm starting again. I am actually now convinced that this is a reboot rather than just we're going to start again. He's really laying out a totally different carpet to walk in. Other than the spin-off of Suicide Squad, which suggests that That his Suicide Squad and Peacemaker shows will still be part of this. I don't think he would cancel himself. That feels like something <laughs> he wouldn't do. Unless I'm judging him wrongly, I don't think so. Swamp Thing is the last thing a horror film that promises to close out the first part of the first chapter. Mention it as a horror. He's put out something that will have widely different genres and they're not going to build an arc with an overarching story. Well, unless that's in the background. They really just want to have comic book films on the big screen. Well, fair play. Yeah, why not? Do something different. He has definitely done something different. Absolutely. Yeah. And he had more to say about, because we've got four films coming out this year that are relics, perhaps, of bygone plans. Shazam, which we've already talked about, The Flash in June, Blue Beetle in August, and Aquaman in December. Gun Calls the Flash, probably one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. Kind of has to say that, doesn't he? He also said the four leads of these films could potentially continue playing their leading roles in DCU projects down the line. There is nothing that prohibits that from happening, said Gunn. Wait, wait, wait. The four leads of, oh, the current films. Right, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So Shazam, The Flash, Blue Beetle and Aquaman. Right, okay. Apparently there's nothing that stops that from happening. He did say in the video as well that Shazam is off in its own thing, so it'd be easy to throw it back in there and, and stuff like that. So he's not completely binning off all the old continuity i guess it's if you can slot it in without it seeming out of place we'll maybe do it or maybe he's just saying that so we'll still go watch those films also the big news ezra miller is not being cancelled i mean how many people yes. can say that i've not been cancelled that's mad yeah he had some comments about that or both of them did saffron said the executives remained hopeful miller was on a path to betterment ezra is completely committed to their recovery we're fully supportive of the journey they're on right now when the time is right when they're ready to have that discussion we will all figure out the best path forward but right now they're completely focused on their recovery and in our conversation with them in the last couple of months it feels like they're making enormous progress people just don't get the chance to do that yeah well there was another slight issue because zachary levi this week 
as we record, tweeted some pretty dodgy things. He tweeted something about he agreed with a anti-vaxxer who was criticising Pfizer, but that could have just been him criticising a pharmaceutical company. Plenty of people do that. He said some weird things about being friend-zoned or something like that. It seemed like it was blown up out of proportion, to be honest. And his dad died like five days ago or something like that. Cut the guy some slack. He's probably not in his right mind, which probably means he shouldn't be tweeting, but not in his right mind. They discussed their approach to casting. The TV series will look to cast actors who will also play their parts on the big screen, just as John Cena played Peacemaker in Suicide Squad and Peacemaker. Anyone cast as Hal Jordan, John Stewart and Lanterns will then cross over in the films. And as before, the animated people. We don't want the series to feel in any way like stepchildren or lesser than said gun. It's just another way to tell a story. You like being able to spend eight hours digging deep into certain characters. Fair enough. When asked about Henry Cavill, we didn't fire Henry. Henry was never cast, said Gunn. For me, it's about who do I want to cast as Superman? Who do the filmmakers we have want to cast? And for me, for this story, it isn't Henry. He added, I like Henry. I think he's a great guy. I think he's getting dicked around by a lot of people, including the former regime at this company. Oof, honest. But this Superman is not Henry for a number of reasons. And then the Zachary Levi thing where he tweeted some various awful things. Actors, filmmakers that I work with are going to say things that I agree with and things that I don't agree with, said Gunn, who in 2018, remember, was temporarily fired by Disney as director of Guardians of the Galaxy due to old offensive tweets. I can't be changing my plans all the time because an actor says something that I don't agree with. At the same token, if someone is doing something that is morally reprehensible, that's a different story and we have to take that into account. If there's anyone who's going to know about being punished for careless tweeting, it's James Gunn. I like that he's got a definitive stance on this. It's that I'm going to look at this on a case-by-case basis and I'll make a decision if anything happens. But yeah, his plans are his plans. So Zachary Levi's not necessarily out. And then they mentioned the Todd Phillips Joker sequel will fall under Elseworlds, as will the Batman and so on. The ta Coates Black Superman project is still in active development. It would also fall under that category. Other cartoons that they make wouldn't be in the DCU will fall under the Elseworlds category. The bar is going to be very high for projects to be outside the DCU, the Elseworlds projects, but every now and then there will be something that lives up to that. So there we go. Totally different approach. I think the right thing to do, because if he built an arc, he would be copying Marvel whether he liked it or not. So the idea of just dropping an arc and just saying, no, we have a universe with all manner of funky stuff in it, come and watch comic book stuff. That's a good decision. His video makes repeated references to an ongoing story. Oh, does it? Oh, so that is going to have it. Okay. All right, fine. Well, it's the you're damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. And it's like, yeah, we're going to do an art, but we're going to do it our own way. True, but I was actually quite pleased with the idea that they had done something different. And now it feels like, oh, no, we're just going to lean back in a little bit as well. It doesn't ruin it. It's just that I was so taken with the idea of, oh, yeah, this is completely different to Marvel that I was just carried away on that wave for a bit. I've got to turn back around. I think they're doing a sufficiently different approach to make it not seem like they're just copying Marvel. Because it's not that the end of our story is definitely going to be the creation of the Justice League, for example. They haven't even said what their story is. They just said there is one. He also said, it's not the gunverse. It's got to be all these different fields from all these different stories. That's what makes it so fun. The stories are completely different. Each has their individual expression of the writers and the director that are making these projects. But he added, we're not stupid. Not every filmmaker is going to be happy because if someone is doing something that isn't working, we're going to be honest, which is something that Marvel could be doing a bit more of. They do this thing where they let people run riot sometimes and it doesn't quite work or they work too hard to homogenize everything. So they haven't found that balance yet. And James Gunn's one of the Marvel directors that does get to do what he wants and it works. And he seems to work well with what they want and what he wants. So if he can bring that sensibility to his DC universe, then great. They've potentially solved the problem 
that Marvel had by going wider with the characters. Because you could have quite happily given Taika Waititi a film and said, go for it. If you just gave him a wacky superhero that was totally out there, the Guardians of the Galaxy stumble across any of those weird characters from out there in the universe and just go with it. And they could have done a much better horror than the Multiverse of Madness with Sam Raimi by, again, picking a horror character. So it sounds like he's gone down that route. What film do we want? What character can we put in that? Rather than say, we want this film, who's on the roster that we can crowbar into that space? It does feel like he's thought about this a lot, and he's created a long plan using the problems that Marvel have encountered as learning points, which is clever. Well, he's been on both sides, hasn't he? He has, yeah, fair enough. And he points out about the previous approach, no one was minding the mint. They were giving away IP like they were party favours at any creator who smiled at them. Mm. To brutally honest about yeah. these things. But yes, he's passionate about it, and that's basically it. Big sci-fi film is what he described the Supergirl film as. Okay. That'll be interesting. And that'll be distinct from Superman in its way, because Superman will be quite, not grounded, yeah. but less sci-fi, oh, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah than the Supergirl thing will be. Quite like the idea of the Supergirl with attitude concept, and then they'll make a decision on what to do with the current films that are out this year. The only thing I don't understand is if there's a general pattern. I don't really understand why this setup, oh, it has to have a young Superman. Can't possibly use Henry Cavill. It really needs a young Superman. No, it doesn't. There's nothing in this that says that you have to have that. So if it's as simple as, I want a young Superman, fine, you're in charge, can't stop you. But it, I don't know, it just seemed like I don't really understand why some of the actors have been ditched and some of them have been kept. I can't see an overall plan. Well, he hasn't explicitly confirmed that any of the actors have been kept. He says that's possible. He hasn't said that Gal Gadot will be kept as Wonder Woman. It just says, I don't even know if it was him that said it. It's just the Hollywood reporter have said it's set before the Wonder Woman films. No, but it's like Henry Cavalier just said, they're not on the slate. No, they're not. But that's quite telling because the character is there and the actor is not on the slate. This is a ten- year plan they might sneak them in here and there that's fine but still you've got to sort out contracts well in advance just because of filming schedule i mean i guess if you want superman for 10 years or more then henry cavill isn't super young anymore but even that i don't quite understand i guess if superman just lives longer i don't know if i've ever understood that or not oh yeah he's basically immortal right okay so yeah fine that does make sense but if you've got a Batman to join Justice League at the end. Well, he's going to be 10 years older. Is that going to work for you? You're just going to make him an advisory capacity. He's our consultant. Fair enough. <laughs> Aquaman as well. At the moment, Jason Momoa still looks pretty tough. But again, give him 10 years. Damien Wayne's a teenager. I think he's like 15, 16 or something like that. So this Batman needs to be old enough to have a 15-year-old, 16-year-old son. Yeah. That could make him 35. It could... I mean, it doesn't really matter. They're starting again. They can do what they want. I think it's just, if he's being this honest, you think, oh, I'd, I'd just love to know. You've got Jason Murray is an awesome Aquaman. There is very few people that could make that character cool. Nobody's going to challenge that. I don't think you could slide someone else into that role and have it work in the same way. No. So you sort of understand, okay, well, we're stuck with you because you're just too good. But then you get Henry Cavill is a great Superman as well. And it feels like if it's just the age thing, well, no, I don't buy that because some of the other characters are too old. He could be a great Superman. He just never had the chance to be. Yeah. Well, to be perfectly fair, when I say 
Jason Momoa is a good Aquaman. That doesn't necessarily mean the scripts were great. I just mean he's a believable Aquaman. Not that I thought his stuff was any better. I didn't come out of the Aquaman films going, that was amazing. Oh, I was so moved by all of this. He had a fun action romp. It's that he just fits the character well. And therefore, I can go back to Henry Cavill and say, he fits the character really well. (laughs) So to my mind, they're both the same. So differentiating between them. Oh, no, it's just the age thing. Well, okay, you've already beaten that because Jason Momoa is not a spring chicken. He looks good, but he is not in his 20s anymore. He comes to Batman, blah, 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 blah. So I don't know. It does feel like, oh, he's being really honest. Nah, there's other stuff going on here. And even if it's just... I want to make this story. Well, fair play to you. Like I say, you're in charge. I think I'd like to see that little extra bit. I shall be curious about that as we go through it. That's all. That's all I can say. And then the thing is, young Superman can mean anything. 20s, 30s. Is that young? It's kind of weird to see it. Because I'm getting older, it's potentially, I like the idea of an older Batman. Because I'm getting older, if that is the reason, I might like to have seen an experienced Superman. If you're really going to make them, these are the diamond characters who are standing behind the new crop who are supporting them then an older wiser superman to me fits perfectly and all of a sudden oh no but we want superman to be the guy at the front being led by the other character well no 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 he's supporting the others but he's a new guy it's not a problem it's not awful it's just one of those ones where you think i'm still curious there's still stuff going on here yeah i get what you're saying and Certainly the sliding definition of young is something they could potentially play with. And then experience, he could still be experienced. If you look at the Spider-Man video game, for example, he's been at it for eight years, but that's from when he was 15. Yeah. So he's like 23, 24. So you could still have a Superman that's been doing it since he was 18. Now he's 26 or something. Yeah, but we won't have that though, because I thought the whole point was that he was doing the equivalent of a year two, a young, inexperienced Superman. Well, it does say that he's trying to resolve his Kryptonian human heritage, which is something he can do at any point. It is, but based on the previous stuff, I've more got the idea of somebody who was late teens, early 20s, going through the quarter-life crisis. Anyway. If it comes down to what he said, there's a key line in there which everybody should be using by default and shouldn't need to put on there, which is, we're going to make good films and you'll like them because they're going to be good. Duh. If you can do that, you're a step up some others already. So carry on. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, staying in the DC vein, it's CW, but DC as well. We have our Lex Luthor for Superman and Lois season three, an actor called Michael Cudlitz, who is best known for The Walking Dead and Southland, who has been cast as Lex Luthor in Season 3 of Superman and Lois. The end of Season 2 revealed that Superman and Lois is in fact not set in the Arrowverse. They point out, I've seen other universes and Superman's the only hero in this universe and that's it. So basically they cut ties with the Arrowverse, which meant they could do their own casting, which they were already doing. So this guy, I don't think I've seen him in very much. He was born in 1964, so he's an older Lex Luthor, which... It's fine. Some people were fan casting Billy Zane as Lex Luthor, and one of the counter arguments is he's too old, so that flies in the face of that, which is funny. He did a voice in Invincible, The Walking Dead. He played Abraham Ford in 39 episodes, and quite a lot of it. He played the NASA director in Young Sheldon. Southland, which I haven't seen. He's in 43 episodes of that. He's in an episode of Knight Rider as lead gunman. The sequel Knight Rider series, that is, in one episode. So... Based on that, I don't know. I don't really know this guy, but I quite like the idea of this older Lex Luthor. And we don't know what he'll be like, 
although they have given us some information about him. According to the official character description, he's known to the world as a visionary billionaire behind LexCorp, but secretly the criminal underworld knows who Lex truly is. A brutal psychopath who terrorises anyone he crosses paths with. When Lex debuts this season, it's been years since he dropped out of the public eye and he's re-emerging hellbent on correcting a personal injustice by enacting revenge on the two people he feels have wronged him. Superman and Lois Lane. Fair play. I know nothing about him or the series, so I'm afraid you're going to have to carry this. Well, I don't know anything about this guy, but I'm encouraged by anything they've done so far, so I have no reason to doubt this one. If Chris was here, he would wax lyrical about how much he hates Lex Luthor as a character, (laughs) so that's something that he could talk about at some point. I think he just is annoyed by the over-reliance on him and he hasn't cared for some of the more recent portrayals. So your Jesse Eisenbergs and your John Cryer and so on, or the way they're written, certainly, maybe not how they're performed. There's only so much an actor can do. Yeah, definitely. So that's that. That's happening. Next thing is Disney are moving on with Tron Aries. Disney's early negotiations to set Joachim Ronning to direct. Jared Leto is going to be in it, despite the fact that no one seems to like this guy. He keeps getting work. You keep saying that, by the way, and I'm going to keep saying it back. I like Jared Leto. Yeah, but the internet hates him. That's The internet's a horrible place. Twitter is not real life. I will give you that. If the internet hates you, we all know the internet is a horrible place. Is that really such a bad thing to be hated by hell? (laughs) They've not said what the Tron sequel will be about or what form it'll take but they're making another one I liked Legacy and the original one quite like it as well it was very weird but I quite like it and Legacy's great because of the Daft Punk music and the 3D technology that made use of so I don't know what their angle will be here don't try and sell people on yeah the second Tron film was great because Daft Punk did the music again can you not say anything about the plot the direction the music was good well that's one of the selling points the music was great I thought it was visually really cool I liked what it was doing the actors were good and I enjoyed it. Were you not a fan of that one? I can watch both Tron films and get some enjoyment out of them. The thing that bothers me about the second Tron film is that it opens so strongly with some really good ideas and it advances the thought about what computers are correctly. So the original Tron film is what we thought computers were back when computers were just being used commonly. Then they bring up in 2010 the idea of artificial intelligence and you think brilliant you've actually taken your genre and you've updated it well and then the first thing they do with the artificial intelligence is kill most of them all but one (laughs) what you just had good plot and you just set fire to it what are you doing so it opens really strongly and then it just becomes bland towards the end and the bit where the father has to give up the son you're supposed to be in tears at that point and i'm just not i wasn't connected because all the good stuff they set up they just don't use it it's really strange so i won't deny that it's visually impressive what the actors set up to do is great what the story promises is really good and this whole idea advancing what do we think about computers now i am ready for tron aries to come out and say right what is computing to us here in the 2020s because we have got things like the metaverse being proposed we've got virtual reality we are ready to finalize this whole idea that these two worlds can cross which is toyed with in 2010 because they at the end give you and the worlds have crossed so we're now ready to see the answer to that there is something this film can definitely say so i am ready for this film and i am happy for jerry lee to be part of it and i think it could be really meaningful i think it's just a shame that on legacy just missed for me let's see if we have a de-aged jeff bridges for this one again oh that was so weird you can't look back on old technology though 
Well, it was one of the pioneers of that technology. Exactly. You've got to let them go. The weirdest thing was that I didn't realize that the character from Tron was actually the big Lebowski. That was my big surprise. <laughs> I was like, where did he get that philosophy from? I suppose 10 years, or sorry, was it 20, 30 years stuck in the mainframe might do that to you. So fair enough. <laughs> but it was a bit of a surprise. You had some great lines in it. Stuff like, you're stepping on my Zen thing. It's just so weird. <laughs> Again, though, it's just like somebody said, do you know what? Make the character your own. Go with it. No. <laughs> this is science fiction that's trying to give us a message about computing. Tell me where modern day spirituality comes in. If you fit it in, then great. If you can say that the Western world is actually starting to look at the Eastern world, it's actually not new. That's decades and decades old. But if you're going to make a comment, fair enough. But if it's just, I don't know what I'm doing. So you put something in to fill my gap. Stop it. Stop and start again and think, no, can we build something here? Let's have plot. You've set something up where you're going to be meaningful. Don't just panic. Push any button in front of you. So we'll see what happens with that. It won't be too long, actually. They start filming in August. So it'll be a couple of years from now that it will actually be appearing. The next up is a film I forgot to talk about when I was talking about what I'd been watching. Megan, or Mithrigan, our latest killer doll slasher movie, is getting a sequel. And there's no surprise because it cost almost nothing to make and it made a ton of money. So therefore, they're doing another one. <laughs> Screenwriter Akela Cooper is returning to pen the sequel. Plot details haven't been revealed, although Alison Williams, whose character helped bring to life the chaotic AI-like doll, will be back for 2.0, as will... Megan's pint-sized bestie played by Violet McGraw. The film will be called Megan 2.0. No reason why this wouldn't be good. The first one is really good. It's not an exceptionally gory slasher movie. In fact, the slasher elements are actually a fairly small part of it. And it's quite tongue-in-cheek in places, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really nice surprise. Sometimes you get this, oh yeah, this was made for nothing, and they really did a good job with it. Maybe I should give it a watch. Well, definitely. It's an hour and 40 minutes long or something like that, and it just moves. Good for them. They made something small, and they're getting rewarded for it. Nice, On the other end of the financial spectrum, we have some news about Avatar 3. Basically, James Cameron says he'll introduce some evil fire Navi, hinting that he wants to show the Navi from another angle. I read that, and I thought, what are you doing? <laughs> we talked about the fact that I haven't seen Avatar 2 yet, but was interested enough to read a lot about it. And I've got a couple of thoughts. The most amusing one, actually, is that in the gaming community, when you say Avatar to somebody, the first thing they think of is not James Cameron's films. It's actually... The Last Airbender. It's The Last Airbender. And the anime that is really popular and has spilled over into other stories and games and so on. Well, they had to change their name because of James Cameron, didn't they? Well, the perversity of it is, he might say, oh, yeah, the name is taken and you shouldn't confuse my thing with theirs. And yet now you're bringing in, well, on top of the original air navy, given in Avatar 2, the water navy, and now you're going for the fire navy. You're just being perverse now, trying <laughs> to make these things the same. I mean, if they can ever bend the element as well whilst they're doing it, if these things can control fire and they are essentially firebenders, then that is just going to be ridiculous anyway that's his <laughs> mistake to make more importantly was that bit about looking at another side of the navi i thought and again you're gonna to have to correct me on this because you've seen it and i haven't i thought i'd read that one of the biggest problems with the second film is they already set up the different perspectives because don't you have two sets of children and one of them's like a human raised as a navi and another's a navi raised as a human or something and you've already got the opportunity to have all the different perspectives of 
inside looking in, inside looking out, and vice versa, from all the four angles you can possibly have, and they don't necessarily do enough with it. So shouldn't they do more with that rather than saying, what we need is another perspective? Hang on a minute. No, use those. Because those characters can grow up, can't they? My problem with the Avatar sequel is that it tries to do too much. It throws so many things in and it just doesn't really latch onto any of them. The first Avatar film, no one's going to praise it for its originality, but it's a simple story of one man learning about another culture. Yeah, fair enough. You follow his understanding as it grows. You're always seeing it through his eyes. and Yes, it's a problematic white saviour narrative and all that stuff. But from the point of view of a story about Guy starts off not getting this and ends film by getting this, it works. And you, you're you there with them the whole way through. And then through that, you get development of Natiri because she's part of his story. She's teaching him, so therefore she has opportunity for developing. But the sequel didn't know who its main characters were. There's too many children. There's the adults as well. They have to do something. And you spend three hours just sort of getting little bits of what they're up to, but nothing hugely impactful or meaningful or able to latch on to. So now James Cameron's like, yeah, Avatar 3, we're going somewhere else. We're going to be looking at the Ash people. But you haven't really looked at the last people in any detail. It's funny, the last Airbender thing, I do get that. I don't really know much about that. I've never seen it or went with it. But I was thinking more of starting Pokemon because you start off with the forest, your grass type, you continue on with water, your water type, and now fire, your fire type. So that's the three elements you get to choose from in every Pokemon game. So that's what I was thinking of. The thing is, I'm not eager to see more Avatar. When I watched the first Avatar film, I wanted to see it again because it blew me away visually. And the second film blew me away visually as well, but not to the point I felt like I needed to see it again. So there was a diminishing return there. And that was the one that was really looking forward to it. Lots of people online have been rubbishing it and saying it's going to be crap and stuff like that. I really wanted to go in and love it. Then I came out just thinking, you don't really know what you want this to be anymore. The thing is, see if they just made a documentary set on Pandora and this one focuses on the water people, that'd be enough for me. But we're getting Fire Navi now, so that'll be something visual to play with. But it looks spectacular, yep. Yeah, but it's just, I don't know, how you traverse that in interesting ways. Because with water, there's ways you can move around and whatever, but fire, not so much. We will find out. They're definitely making this one. Moving on, we have Antoine Fuqua to direct Michael Jackson's biopic for Lionsgate. John Logan writing the script. He's a good script writer. And Bohemian Rhapsody's Graham King producing. Not much has really been said about what the film will be. It's going to be a Michael Jackson biopic, which had to come around eventually. Another piece of news that I had to squeeze in because they recently cast it. But Michael Jackson's nephew, Jafar Jackson, is going to be playing him. That's interesting. It's fame money. It's always going to happen. According to Lionsgate, the film will address all aspects of Jackson's life, though it's unclear how it will address so many controversies involving the late music icon, given that the biopic has been made in conjunction with this estate, which has defended him against accusations. Those accusations were returned to the public discourse thanks to the documentary Leaving Neverland. Putting a family member in there means that it's going to be pro-MJ. Probably, yeah. And the thing about biopics is... The ones that are birthed to death I always feel are limiting because what you get is you get a couple of scenes of whatever as they progress through their life, whereas the best ones are focusing on this pivotal two-week period or something like that. Here was a landmark time in this person's life and it sort of encapsulates who they are. You can obviously bring in flashbacks or whatever to other bits of it, but predominantly it's this one event is what's best about it. Or is the best way to do it for me because all the birth to death ones are the same. I felt like that with Elvis, although that was more about the Tom Hanks character than it was Elvis himself, despite the title. The Michael Jackson thing, yeah, it's going to be a bit 
like Bohemian Rhapsody, isn't it? Because that was controlled by the surviving members of Queen, right. who painted themselves as more saintly and Freddie Mercury as his loose cannon. Because I'm sure Brian May never took drugs. Mm-hmm. But if you watch that film, he didn't. It was all Freddie Mercury that was misbehaving. Okay. So with this, we're probably going to get a pretty sanitised look at Michael Jackson's life. Like I say, you put a family member in, you know what you're going to get. Yeah, and if the estate are handling the production side of it, or involved in the production side of it. That's it. Right. Anyway, moving on, we have a remake of Ghost Coming, starring Channing Tatum, potentially. He's definitely producing it anyway. Vanity Fair goes on to report. He tells us about how the production company, Free Association, is trying to pull together a remake of Ghost, with him potentially playing the Patrick Swayze role. But we're going to do something different. Tatum added, noting the 1990 original contains problematic stereotypes. I think it needs to change a little bit. I've seen Ghost once, I wasn't a fan of it, but I'm surprised it's taken this long, to be honest. It's one of those ones where people have been looking around for what can we remake, and that's on the list. Yep, it's next up. Has he still got it? He's 42, I looked up, potentially he has. Shannon Tatum. Will he still have it in three years if the film gets made? I don't know, maybe. No reason why not. But at the moment, it feels like that's what they're selling it on you'll get to see him doing some half-sexy scenes with presumably some hot young actress. Yes, there'll be pottery. They'll remake the pottery scene. Which would be a mistake, I think, because that's already iconic. <laughs> Just don't do that again. They'll put something in to have the equivalent, though, and it'll be like, oh, God, no. Yeah, probably. And it'll either be crap or not. I'm not hopeful, but who knows? Okay, moving on. Paramount's adaptation of Tom Clancy's novel Rainbow Six has found a director, Chad Stahelski, director of the John Wick movies, has been tapped to direct a feature project that's serving as a Michael B. Jordan action vehicle and follow-up to the action thriller Without Remorse. The film I've seen, it has a Marvel-style post-credit scene where he meets with someone and says, I'm going to put together a team. I think we'll call them Rainbow or something like that. The Rainbowverse is coming. The Tom Clancy verse? I don't know. What would you call that? I've read some Tom Clancy novels. I don't know. They are what they are. People love them. He's probably made a lot of money out of people adapting his stuff into video games and things. Without Remorse was okay, but I don't remember that much about it. Free money. Yeah. Michael B. Jordan, though, he's always good. And if you put him in front of something, chances are people will watch it. Doesn't really say what the plot details will be, but that's it. Chad Stahelski's a good director. The John Wick movies are excellent. So maybe we'll direct it, if nothing else. Yeah. Megalopolis, Francis Ford Coppola's self-financed film, which is interesting in itself, has cast Giancarlo Esposito. He was in Breaking Bad and all sorts. The boys, everything. He joins Adam Driver, Forrest Whitaker, Natalie Emanuel, John Voigt, Lawrence Fishburne, Aubrey Plaza, Shia LaBeouf, okay. Chloe Feynman, Catherine Hunter, Dustin Hoffman, D.B. Sweeney, Talia Shire, Jason Schwartzman, Bailey Ives, Grace Vanderwall, and James Remar. What are these people all going to do? Good They're question. They're going to have five minutes on screen each. It's a bit like when they were just announcing home run after home run for June, and then you see how they're using the film, you're like, oh, okay. I suppose, actually, yeah, to be fair. There's just no extras. They're all famous. The film The Fate of Rome haunts a modern world, unable to solve its own social problems in this epic story of political ambition, genius and dangerous love. Budget is just under $100 million, and Coppola recently told Deadline the film is on schedule and on budget, which seems somewhat dubious. There's been talking about ballooning budget, the crew all quit because the working conditions were awful. So there's some issues there. He's a weird one. I don't know it well enough, so you have to correct me. I think he's had one self-funded film that was a total failure, but then didn't he put money himself into Apocalypse Now? Or even if he didn't put his own money into it, he led a film that had infinite production, let's call them problems, lightly. (laughs) And yet people freaking love it. So 
this is a coin toss at the moment. He's capable of pulling this out of his backside still. Apparently he's financing it with the tens of millions he made selling his popular North California wineries. Fair play. But basically it's issues there in terms of the crew quitting and all this stuff. So it sounds very like Apocalypse Now, which was a nightmare for everybody involved. Not everybody got diarrhea and stuff like that. And they're in the middle of the jungle and it's hot and they're all hallucinating and whatever else. It sounds like it could be a really interesting project, assuming it gets out there, but he's still casting people in. Self-financing, that's not nothing. It's committed, eh? Next up, very quick one, Ardman has announced that the studio's much-loved duo Wallace and Gromit will return for a new film in 2024, premiering exclusively on Netflix, with the exception of the UK, where it will first debut on the BBC. Yeah. The film sees Gromit becoming concerned that Wallace is a little too dependent on his inventions. When Wallace's smart gnome develops a mind of its own, it falls to Gromit to battle sinister forces and save his master, or Wallace may never be able to invent again. I like Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, absolutely. If they keep up the work everybody loves, carry on. I guess they've been quietly working on it for a while. Better that than ramming them all out, yeah. They physically can't make them quickly because of yes. how they make them. Yeah. A frame of animation takes like a day or something like that, because you have to move, capture, move, capture, the stop motion. Anyway, Stephen Colbert is to produce Chronicles of Amber. The books have been cited as an influence on Game of Thrones. George R. R. Martin recently stated he wanted to see the books brought to the screen. Colbert says, George R. R. Martin and I have similar dreams. I've carried the story of Corwin in my head for over 40 years, and I'm thrilled to partner with Skybound and Vincent Newman to bring these worlds to life. The Chronicles of Amber follows the story of Corwin, who's said to awaken on Earth with no memory, but soon finds he is a prince of a royal family, and the ability to travel through different dimensions of reality called Shadows, and rules under the one true world, Amber. And based on that, it doesn't sound that exciting. It's funny, really, because I know Amber so well, because it's so big it enough to become a role-playing game, and it's a role-playing game that's actually well-known because it uses a completely different rule set than people are used to. It's almost exactly opposite of Dungeons & Dragons. It's a game where people can mostly get into character and talk at each other for four hours. And there are some resolutions that you do have to allow a small amount of chance, but it's a big game of politics and discussing ideologies. It makes it weird, actually, to come back from that and think, hang on, but what's the film's actually going to be about obviously it'll be about the books i think if i try and say well what's in it for you i think it could be the multiverse of madness that chris wanted where there's lots of things about a multiverse lots of things overlapping and potential consequences of actions being spread really wide with a core group of characters trying to tie everything together the biggest danger for it will be if and I think this is in the books because I've not read them. I was just looking at the other day because I've got that roleplay connection. But I think it's a big danger that they make it generic and you end up with a mass army battle. And at the end of it, it's just people fighting across dimensions. Now, that's not what I think the books are, but the books do have monarchs, kings and queens using their armies to fight each other. And that's where you get your Game of Thrones connection. So it's not like that isn't in the books. But I think if they lean more into what the role-playing game is, which is people having trouble with ideologies, looking across different dimensions to see what they want to support and what they don't want to support, and making it a personal struggle against the chaos in the background, then you could have an interesting personal story, as I say, set to this multiverse of madness set up. And I think that would be a science fiction that you could enjoy. Saying that, I know what production teams are like, and 
I know that someone will say, where's your big set piece with your large armies fighting to save the dimensions and the multiverse? So it could go either way. I hope it goes in the former, but I fear the latter is likely if nobody stops it. I suppose there's no reason you can't have both. You just have to earn the big battle. Yeah, fair enough. That's true. Yeah, sure. And Stephen Colbert is a huge fan of the books, so maybe he'll have some influence in keeping it on task as to what he likes about them. Fair play. Yeah, that'd be good. There's a positive spin, I suppose. But yeah, I agree there will probably be some kind of massive set-piece thing that will be in the trailer. Come see this, because it will have this in it. But like I say, you can earn it. The first Avengers film, for example, ends on a huge set piece where the fighting aliens in New York but you're ready for it you've earned it you're on board absolutely yeah fair play next up back to Dungeons and Dragons Paramount Plus has given an eight episode straight to series order to an adaptation of the titular fantasy role-playing game Red Notice filmmaker Ross and Marshall Thurber wrote the pilot and is set to direct the first episode which will be a co-production between E1 and Paramount Pictures that's all they've said about it is that it's going to be a D&D TV series we need to know more. It's quite an interesting vote of confidence, though, because the film isn't even out yet, and they're like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, so yeah. it must mean that someone has looked at the film and thought, more of this. Thanks. Absolutely. And it's another way of making money, and one of the big problems, apparently, that the owners of Wizards of the Coast, which I think is Hasbro, have said is, you're not making enough money. So I guess TV and film is one of the things they want to get into to solve that problem. We need to know more about it, though, because, again, it suffers the same problem as the other. If it's live action, but it's just silly, then people will just write it off as a pointless comedy and it'll get forgotten. I think they need to do the same thing that I want them to do with the film, where it has to be funny, but it needs to have that heroic element too. And it also needs to solve the problem of everybody's going to be saying, where is uni? And I don't know if you get that reference, but I assure you that the Dungeons & Dragons people in the audience will, and that'll be a big disappointment that they have to get past. It's unlikely it'll have the likes of Chris Pine, etc. in it. I'd be very surprised if it ends up being a direct sequel to the film with those actors in it. But maybe streaming has become really big in terms of attracting talent, so you never know. It doesn't need to. It just has to have that same feel to it. We'll see. I've got my eye on this one because I want that extra information. That's the thing. Well, more will be coming. They're fast-tracking this by the looks of things. Do you want to talk a bit about the controversy or do you think it's well and truly put to bed now? It is put to bed. There's still an outstanding potential issue with it i don't think i'll bore the people in the audience who aren't gamers with it with any more than just a quick summary and the people in charge of dungeons and dragons try to absorb as much of the outlying material that is actually created by its own fan base back into wizards of coast the owners of dungeons and dragons it was like this big evil maniacal villain move to just say all you people, we let you make money off our product and our stuff isn't making enough money. So we're just going to take your money. Is that all right? Oh, you don't like that? Oh, that's a shame. And add to this, the guy in charge of Dungeons and Dragons is someone who is proudly a video game producer and thinks that Dungeons and Dragons, the tabletop role-playing game with pens and dice, should be more like playing a video game where people can play by themselves with a virtual interface and It'd be really good if they could make microtransactions like you do on a video game. So essentially he wants to take what ruined video games (laughs) 
and make the tabletop game ruined in the same way. And everybody was just incredulous. We couldn't believe it. So everybody stopped giving their subscription money to Dungeons & Dragons. Wizard of the Coast went, oh my God, we're losing loads of revenue and caved. Not only have they caved, they've officially put a lot of their stuff out into Creative Commons. So they've said, right, all you people that create stuff that make Dungeons & Dragons popular on our behalf, keep doing that, please. What everybody's saying is, that's a massive win, and we keep our money and our ability to create. That's a massive success, but what we now need to know is, are you still going to pursue this video game argument and create your online Dungeons & Dragons and try and suck all the people away from us and turn D&D into a video game, which will probably kill it? So the community won... And that's a good thing, but that doesn't mean that the owner of Wizards can't drive his bus off a cliff and take everybody with him. And the game won't die, actually. It's just that it would stop being made until somebody else bought it, which they probably would because it's the biggest game on the market. So it's just weird. But the reason it's relevant to this is I think because the TV and the film were coming out, it would have hit their extra revenue. I think they had to cave. And I don't think you'll hear anything from them again until the money is in from both. Okay, and it's self-hosted anyway, so even if the video game did quote-unquote kill it, it wouldn't stop people playing it, would it? No, but you have to think that the video game would be a totally different game. So any new audience getting sucked in, it would derail its own popularity, it would knock it. But yeah, all the older school people would still play it in their houses and that would keep it alive. And then somebody would probably buy it after it crashed, they'd burn the video part of it. And move on. I mean, I suppose there's no reason it couldn't be both, right? You could have a Dungeons & Dragons video game. thing is, there already are. All right. I'm not surprised by that. The idea of, hang on, you've got successful video games on one table, and you've got successful tabletop games on another table. Why are you trying to take two successful tables and merge them together into one table? You've got two income streams, and you want to reduce it to one. I know that the microtransactions are worth a lot of money. But that is massively cynical if that's the only way you can think of to make money. It's just a madness. And as I understand it, the license that predated this allowed for people to take the IP and spin it into their own thing. Mm-hmm. So people built their livelihoods around running games and they had. whatever else. Whereas, to use another example, Star Trek, for example, Paramount once let people use the Star Trek license to make fan films as long as they weren't profiting out of them. And then there was one that abused that, and that's a bigger story that we won't go into. Nobody should be going into making a Star Trek, Star Wars, whatever fan film, thinking, I'm going to make tons of money out of this. But with D&D, you could go into it with the mind of making money. And they allowed that. You could, yeah. And people did it very successfully. Issa, who sometimes appears on the podcast, she talks about that's her partner's livelihood. Uh I don't know how that is. Maybe she can tell us about that one day. But she cancelled her subscription, as you talked about there. Have most people renewed those subscriptions now that they've caved, or are they still in a holding pattern? I think people will be going back. I've actually not heard any chat on this, and I'm going to keep my eye open for it. I think it's still a bit new, and people are still wary, because if they do try and shut down the future, people need to know that as they go in, because your livelihood is all about what's new. So... It's fine for people that are creating their own primary content because you can keep selling it. So you've got people like your Pathfinders and the Star Wars video game, was it Knights of the Old Republic? People can still make stuff like that and make money off it. That's primary content. But the secondary content where you've got streamers and YouTubers who are reviewing that content 
who are coming up with fun ways of taking that primary content and merging it together, who are running games for other people to watch, to sort of sell it. Those people function on what's new and hot and cool, and they will have a horrible choice if the future changes because they will be forced to go with it or drop it. Those people are the ones that have the subscriptions and their followers are the ones that have subscriptions. And I think they've still got a somewhat uncertain future to know about. They're carrying on now. People have restarted and they're still producing the secondary content, but there's still this nervousness about, well, yeah, but the time might be up. And the thing is other companies, so. Paizo and so on that did Pathfinder, I think Monty Cook Games, the Goblin one, I can't remember, something Goblin. They've all created their own initiative, and it's entirely possible that these secondary content people will actually turn away from Wizards and go with these other collectives. So everybody who's not Wizards of the Coast and D&D, the original people, have all sort of ganged together and have carved out market share. And they could keep it. You might find that Issa's partner just signs up with Pathfinder and goes with them instead. Okay. And they might have to. So strange days. Very strange still. It's very much a case of it wasn't broke, so don't try to fix it then. Well, Hasbro said it was broke because it wasn't making enough money. Whereas everybody turned around and said, well, how about you learn the lessons that Marvel did? You could just make better stuff that people buy. How about that? Because <laughs> some of the stuff they've produced is of seriously lower quality than the third party people just churning it out they churned it out but this is obviously not going to work so just try making better stuff and you'll probably find that it makes money because you set it up this way there's a reason D is the biggest game in the world tabletop game a reasonable expectation if you make good stuff we'll buy it i mean exactly oh james gunn's principle he just put out there is it new and special has he just thought of this by himself no <laughs> I think there's a huge rethink that needs to happen when it comes to a lot of how things work in terms of revenue streams and things like that, because the world has changed so much. And you talked about Twitch, so people are on Twitch playing D&D, but people are on Twitch playing video games and technically making money out of a video game that was made by not them. By playing it, people are watching them play it and they'll give them money for the privilege of enjoying that. And video game companies have talked about trying to snap some of that up. There was that issue with YouTube quite some time ago. It was about you can't stream this or that or whatever. And and they're always demonetizing content because they think it breaches copyright when it doesn't. You put five seconds of our trailer in your video, so we're taking all your money. Yeah, we're giving you free marketing here. Also, no fair use. I'm allowed to use five seconds of the trailer to expand my point that I'm trying to make here or whatever. A rethink needs to happen because the old model doesn't work anymore because the technology has changed and these rules are still written without that in mind. The stupid thing is they could do a virtual tabletop like they're doing now and still put microtransactions in. They don't have to turn it into this new thing. Anyway, it's a whole big thing. Watch this space, I guess. We'll see how it all develops. Last couple of bits now. William H. Macy is joining the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, which also stars Owen Teague, Freya Allen and Peter Macon. Wes Ball is on board to direct. It starts a new chapter in the Apes saga, picking up many years after the conclusion of War for the Planet of the Apes. It's unknown who Macy will be playing in the pick. I'd just like to remind people that this is coming because I love those Apes movies. So getting another one is quite exciting. I've not seen them, so fair play. Oh, God. You should watch them. Great trilogy. Andy Serkis is an ape. Superb. It's good that they're just taking the source material and playing around with it because you couldn't remake the first film anymore, I don't think. Because the twist is so ubiquitous, isn't it? You couldn't reveal its earth and have anybody be shocked. 
because everybody knows. Or maybe they don't. Maybe a modern audience just don't know. It's possible. But we easy to find out. Yeah. Like when they adapted Winter Soldier, there were just casual spoilers about Bucky online because there was already a comic that wasn't written all that long ago. So it could be a bit like that. But anyway, another Apes film. So that's something for you to do. Catch up with that trilogy. All right. Last thing, we have some casting for the Fraser sequel. One of them is Nicholas Lindhurst, which... Nobody could have predicted. You could have won a lot of money if you tried to predict that. It's not a huge surprise because as came out after it, Nicholas Lindhurst and Kelsey Grammer were on stage together in London in a play. So that's where that comes from. Plot details are being kept mostly under wraps, naturally. But the official logline states, Fraser is off to a different city with new challenges to face, new relationships to forge, and an old dream or two to finally fulfil. Fraser has re-entered the building. So it's Fraser. Basically, that was the concept of Fraser the show. So doing that again. It feels like change everything whilst keeping it the same. And that is the known formula. So they've got Nicholas Lindhurst. He's intelligent, but boozy. All right. So he's both Niles and the dad in one. And he's British. Okay. So he's also Daphne. All right. Brilliant. So they've managed to keep all of that in there. British boozy and larger than life. Alan Cornwall, an English guy called Alan Cornwall. Come on. Alan has an intellect on par with Fraser's. If only he ever felt like using it. Alan's mischievous streak might be just what Fraser could use to shake up his routine. Well, Fraser's thoughtful guidance might help Alan find some of the direction he's been missing in his own life. So like you say, a bit of a Niles type. Well, I think he'll be Niles and Daphne together because he'll be ditzy to be Daphne. He'll be, as you say, intelligent and Zaki to be Niles. And if he's a bit boozy, then he'll be the dad as well. If they do it well, then they've got Fraser in a different part of his life where he's the father and it's not him with his own father. It's now him with his own son. So it'll be moving on the ages. And it sounds like it's just going to be a buddy show where they've just said the best bits were Niles and Fraser. So how can we get those two together? We'll just have a buddy show. And then Freddy will be the foil that sets up various plot lines. This could work. Good. Yeah. But like I keep saying, sometimes it's okay just to have things finish and just be done with them. Yes, it definitely is. Dredging everything up. I'm not excited by it. I'm not desperate to see this. I'm not really interested. And I liked Fraser, but I'm not astounded by it. I'm not blown away. It feels like something that, as I say, it could work. And the last bit, which you already said, is Freddy's in it. Jack Cutmore Scott has been cast as Freddy. The character is described as a nuanced combination of his father and grandfather. So Fraser will be Fraser and Freddy will be Martin essentially. Years ago, Freddy rejected following in his father's footsteps, dropping out of college to become a fireman. He's even in the services, and he's never looked back until now. When recent troubles have left him with no one to turn to in his life, if they can overcome past differences, Freddy and Fraser might finally have a chance to repair old wounds. They've remade Fraser with different cast. The dynamic has been moved around a little bit, but it's still there. Like you say, I'm not that excited about it. I'm okay with saying goodbye to stuff, and I think we've had quite a lot of these legacy quills come out and be disappointing but you approach them with a bit of trepidation now. Yeah. Anyway, that is it. That is the final news item. Thank you, James Gunn, for giving us the DC news to talk about so that we didn't have to come back or leave it till next month. So that was good. Good timing for once. We lucked out there. That was our discussion about January 2023's news and trailers and other bits and pieces. I want to thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music. And Aaron, I want to thank you for being here to talk about all the stuff and things that we have to talk about. Lovely. If you like what you heard, then please do subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on most of these platforms, you can leave a rating and a review. Should I ask you how many stars the audience should give us on these platforms? You should not. I should not. So 
I will just say five. I couldn't think of a reference to other stuff that we talked about that might have five in there somewhere, but five, do that. If you want to discuss anything that came up here or anything else really, you can reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter under Name Before Blog or leave us a comment on nailbeforeblog.co.uk. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Nail Before Pot. Thank you.